You're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. The view from our side of the cockpit door. WAPG. It's the Airline Pilot Guy. Airline Pilot Guy episode 471. Listening to the Airline Pilot Guy show, the view from our side of the cockpit door, with your host, Captain Jeff, broadcasting live from Studio 1A at APG headquarters in Roswell, Georgia. Today's show is recorded on the 6th of May, 2021. episode, a historic Hawker Sea Fury splits apart in an English field during an emergency landing. A second test flight for the world's largest airplane by wingspan. More news, your feedback, and today's plane tale, jet noise, the sound of. So get all settled in, tray tables and seat backs in the upright and locked positions, electronic devices powered on. I'm Radio Roger, and Flight 471 is ready for pushback. Thank you, Radio Roger. He's an award-winning TV and radio reporter currently at the number one all-news station in the nation. 10-10 wins in New York City. Welcome to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. It's an aviation podcast, kind of like an aviation talk radio show, covering the latest in aviation news and answering your great feedback. I'm Captain Jeff, a pilot at a major legacy airline based in Atlanta, Georgia. And joining me today from her lakeside studio in South... It's a doctor, a skydiver, a marathon runner, strength training junkie, IPA connoisseur, and commercial multi-engine instrument rated backstabbing jumper dumper, Dr. Steph. Hey, Captain Jeff. It is so great. Great. Wow. It's going to be one of those days, isn't it? (laughs) It's your fault. (laughs) Um, It is so great to be back. I missed Uh uh, last week, I think. And um, yeah, looking forward to a great show and catching up with you guys. And I think the uh, the phrase we were looking for was unique New York. Unique New York. New York. Say that a hundred times fast. Unique New York. Unique New York. No, I can't do that. (laughs) I have enough trouble with just regular words. (laughs) So, (laughs) and joining us from his studio in Hampshire, a professional photographer, former RAF, RAAF fighter pilot, retired Airbus A330, A340 captain for Virgin Atlantic Airlines. It's Captain Nick. Oh, it's great to be back having uh, a quiet beer with my lovely friends uh, and talking about airplanes. What could be better? I can't think of anything other than maybe doing some news. Oh, if we have to. Stand by for news. Okay, first up, we have an incident. A Singapore Airlines 777 stopped climb at 500 feet after the cruise waypoint entry error. Pilots of a Singapore Airlines Boeing 777-300ER inadvertently entered an incorrect waypoint altitude constraint prior to departure, resulting in several alerts from the ground proximity warning system as the aircraft climbed out of Shanghai, Pudong. The, is that right, Pudong? Um, the 
That's what it's going to be. Yes, that's exactly right. Thank yep. you. Uh, the takeoff runway assigned had been changed from 3-4 left to 3-5 right, which meant that the aircraft standard departure route switched from Hotel Sierra November 22X to Hotel Sierra November 12X. This required updating the flight management computer with the new departure route. The first waypoint on this route, identified as Papa Delta 062, did not have any speed or altitude crossing constraint, which meant that the field on the computer's route display was blank. Although this was not abnormal, the captain, quote, preferred to have the speed constraint explicitly displayed, says the Singaporean Transport Safety Investigation Bureau in its inquiry into the 2nd of September 2019 incident. He decided to enter the speed constraint of 250 knots, as shown on the departure charts. The 777's flight management computer required speed constraints to have a corresponding altitude constraint, so the captain chose to enter 500A, meaning that the Papa Delta 062 waypoint should be crossed at 500 feet or above. But the captain inadvertently miskeyed, typing 500 rather than 500A which neither crew member noticed. This error meant that the aircraft's autopilot would limit the aircraft to 500 feet ahead of the waypoint crossing. Hmm, that's not good. First officer observed the captain's inputs as part of the cross-checking process and accepted the inputs as correct, the inquiry says, adding that time pressure resulted in the first officer's not carrying out a habitual scan of the entries. In other words, he didn't notice the error. As the aircraft took off from runway 35 right in darkness, the captain called for autopilot engagement at 360 feet, an early selection because he wanted to reduce workload, given the need for the crew to spend time converting Chinese metric altitude clearances to feet. Oh, that's not fun. Pilots on the 777-9 Victor Sierra Whiskey Delta engaged the autopilot just after liftoff, but the autopilot selection meant that the aircraft initially climbed to 750 feet, before descending to 500 feet in compliance with the altitude constraint entered for the PD-062 waypoint. The captain did not realize that the aircraft had stopped climbing. That's odd. Says the inquiry and had called for flap retraction, believing the 777 had passed 1,000 feet. Okay. I guess he just felt like it had passed 1,000 feet. Investigators state that the crew did not verify altitude information from the instrument displays. As the flaps started retracting the enhanced ground proximity warning system activated and issued an unexpected don't sink alert, which startled the pilots. The captain nevertheless chose to complete the flap retraction, suggesting to the first officer that the alert might have been due to a pitch reduction resulting from a tailwind. Nine seconds after the initial alert, the crew received a second don't sink warning and a third some nine seconds after that. The flight crew realized, finally, that the aircraft had leveled off and they needed to reinitiate a climb, says the inquiry. I mean, how long were they at 500 feet? Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I, wish I, I wish I knew. Actually. This is making it sound like it was quite a while. Yeah, because uh, the third alert was nine seconds after the second one. So, <laughs> And what was the time in between? Yeah, so, I mean. It had to be a long time, time, I'm guessing. Well. While the captain selected flight level change mode in response, he then reverted to vertical nav mode. Flight data recorder information showed this made no difference to the 777's altitude, and the aircraft remained at 480 to 500 feet. Another don't sink caution was triggered, 
followed shortly afterwards by a pull-up pull warning, prompting the captain to disengage the autopilot, pitch the aircraft nose up, and advance the thrust levers. The aircraft climbed to 1,780 feet, but after the captain called for the autopilot to be re-engaged, started descending again towards the 500-foot <laughs> constraint altitude. You've told me to go down there. I I'm going to go down it. there. At 500 feet. It's going to do. It's a, it's a computer, right? You know, everybody that has experience yeah. with computers, guess what? If you tell the computer to do something, well, gosh darn it, it'll probably do it. <laughs> Even that, if it wasn't your intent for it to do that. Oh, man, this is, this is kind of painful to read. Uh, another don't sink caution was triggered. Uh, wait a minute. No, I already read that. Um, okay. At this, at this point, the first officer noticed the erroneous constraint entry for the waypoint and understood the aircraft's behavior, informing the captain that the entry needed to be canceled. Once the entry was deleted, the aircraft was able to climb without further problems and the jet proceeded to Singapore. Quote, this occurrence is an apt reminder of the guidance given in the flight crew training manual that when automation does not perform as expected, the flight crew should reduce the level of auto flight and identify and resolve the condition, says the inquiry. In other words, fly the airplane. Uh, the original <laughs> level of auto flight should only be resumed after they have regained proper control of the flight path and performance level. I was... Um, just thinking that uh, this would be appropriate. Click, 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 click. Uh, some of you may Indeed. recognize Indeed. that uh, from the Children of the Magenta uh, talk or lecture by uh, Captain Vandenberg of, uh, or Vanderberg, not sure exactly, uh, mm -hmm. from American Airlines back in the 90s. Anyway, uh, the original level of auto flight should only be resumed after they have regained proper control. I think I just read that. Investigators noted that the crew had been facing several individual pressures prior to the departure, including weather concerns, minimum equipment list considerations, maintenance issues, and problems downloading route information as a result of a difficult controller pilot data link connection. Wow. I mean, where do you start with this one, uh, Captain Nick? Well, you start with rubbish in, rubbish out. Uh, you know, it, when you make an entry into your uh, flight management computer, it really does need to be uh, confirmed and checked uh, with the other crew member. Uh, and you, if it's something as simple as that, uh, just the addition of one uh, alphanumeric uh, that could really alter uh, your flight profile and one that restricts you so close to the ground inadvertently then it's really worth taking just a few extra seconds to check. Um, having said that, once they realized there was a problem, um, you're quite right. Uh, disconnect the automatics, hand fly the airplane to a safe altitude, and then look and try and resolve what the problem was. Um, yeah, interesting. And Pilot Pip of the Plane Safety Podcast says, true that operating in a metric environment can be challenging, but it should be well briefed beforehand. I'd be amazed if the 777 doesn't have the option to set metric altitude. I'm not sure if it does or not. Yeah, we, we, had, uh, we had dual uh, readouts on the Airbus, uh, so metric and uh, feet as well. Um, and also all the plates we had, um, all the departure plates had the feet uh, metric conversions on them. So I'd be a bit surprised, and they were Jeppesons, generally speaking. So I'd be a bit surprised if 
they really need to have that much concern. A quick glance at your departure plate, you know, you get both readouts, so you know what to set. It's not exactly a, a, a big problem doing a conversion. Um, but, you know, obviously they thought it was. I, I have a feeling that they're just looking for uh, reasons why they made this mistake, and the reason to me is pretty obvious. They mistyped mm -hmm. it in and didn't notice it. There you go. But, you know, but if you make that mistake and you recognize that something, I mean, even if you don't know what the mistake is at this point, go ahead, Steph. No, I think the the more amazing thing to me is that is potentially the amount of time that elapsed that they were unaware of the issue as well. And I think, um, you know, when something like that goes on, you go, wait, something's not going right. But when did it start? And then it's a little bit harder to diagnose that problem because it seems like if you notice it immediately, you go, oh. The autopilot's not doing what we asked it to do. And then yeah. obviously they realize that as as they tried to change the situation. But yeah, I, I agree with with you and with the the inquiry that obviously when something like that happens, get rid of the levels of automation and take it back to basics. One of the things that really uh just concerns me is the captain did not realize that the aircraft had stopped climbing. You know, between liftoff and a thousand feet above the ground, I think most people you know, would, uh, would kind of sense that the airplane was no longer climbing. Uh, and then when he called for the flap retraction, thinking he was above a thousand feet, what is he looking at? I mean, it was, you just thinking, well, this is about, this is, is about just... the, about the right amount of time that normally elapses. And I call for flaps retracted. I mean, we all look at the airspeed indicator, right? I mean, does anybody not look at the airspeed indicator before they fo call for flap retraction, slat retraction, all these different things. I mean, that's the cue that we're looking for. That's and the trigger. The yeah. yeah, and the altitude. Well, that's right. I mean, there, there are two key altitudes here we should be aware of and note. Uh, first is the thrust reduction altitude, and the second then is the acceleration altitude, mm -hmm. at two different heights. Um, and uh, the fact that they managed to only get to 750 feet and then descended back down to 500 feet, well, you think to yourself, what happens if the guy had set 100 feet in? Uh, I know. You know how close we would, were they we, going to get to the ground before they realized? We'd be reading a, an accident report, is what we'd be reading, it not could an well incident. Be. Report. Yeah, mm -hmm. hopefully the GPWS would have screamed at them before they got there. But mm -hmm. uh, you know, it it, it just shows a, a lack of awareness, and yeah. uh, you know, definitely some tightening up of his uh, instrument scans, both those. Because you've mm -hmm. got a pilot monitoring as well. He's got even less to do. Sure. And uh, he's supposed to say, when the captain says, you know, flaps up or flaps retract or whatever the call out is, he is supposed to look at his instrumentation and verify that the speed is good, the altitude's right before you do it. But apparently that didn't seem to be something that came to his mind either. And then mm -hmm. uh, do for, worry about this. And being at 480 to 500 feet above the ground for I don't know how long before they finally disconnected and pulled up the airplane and pushed the thrust levers forward to, you know, get climbing. Uh, just wow, that's a long amount of time. It's crazy. Well, there well, are what plenty kind of obstacles. Of airports. Obstacles are around the city. Yeah, or obstacles or, 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 or some sort of lighted uh, tower. Yeah. I'm sure in their no tams buried in like, you know. Yeah, plenty of airports around the world where you Crane just can't do that of. for five miles. What if you? What if this had been like Hong Kong? <laughs> There's a lot of you know if they were if they were pointed toward the the land and not the sea. I mean, again, that would have been a, a terrible accident. Mm. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Anyway, thought that one was interesting. 
All right. Definitely. By the way, that was from, uh, let's see, what? Flight Global, I think. Flight Global. Yes, you're right. Okay. Flightglobal.com. Okay. Well, well, another one, uh, another news item, uh, bad news. Uh, Fortunately, no no, um, loss of life, but except for the airplane's loss of life. I have a couple of... uh, Overlays, Liz, if you want to pop them in, if you'd like. This is a a historic Hawker Sea Fury plane has crashed in a field near a naval base in Somerset. The plane made a precautionary forced landing next to, uh, I guess that's Royal Nair Naval Air Station, uh, RNAS. Right. Um, now, I have done, I don't know how to pronounce that next word, Nick, so please tell me. Yeovilton. Yeovilton on uh, Wednesday Yo- yeah. afternoon. Yeovilton. Yeovilton. And and while we're on the subject, it's a hawker. Hawker. A There's a W in it. A hawker. Hawker. I said the W. Hawker. Now you're just now you're just making fun of us. (laughs) You're making fun of us because we say hawker. (laughs) Anyway. Anyway. Navy wings. It's like saying hockey. It's not h- hockey. It's ho- no, that's hockey. That's hockey. Hockey. <laughs> yeah. This is a hawker. This They're has got a W completely. in it, so it's a hawker. Yeah, so it's yes. a hawker. I hear the different stuff. I, the <laughs> I know you do. <laughs> Just giving Nick a hard time. I know. For more pronunciation lessons in American and British English. I was supporting, I was supporting you, Steph. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. The crash. Uh, oh, here. Where, where, where did I leave off? Your Navy Wings, which operates the Sea Fury T.20, said the pilots had been taken to hospital as a precaution. The crash happened following a problem with the engine during a routine training flight. A routine training flight, the Navy Wings spokesperson added. The cause of the crash is under investigation. Both the Civil Aviation Authority. What do you call that, uh, Nick? The uh, CAA? Uh, that's it. Uh, well, the I, uh, campaign against aviation. Yes, that's what I meant. And the air accident investigation branch have been informed. Uh, Matt Bullock, who saw the wreckage, said, "I only heard it take off." And there were there were a lot of sirens. About ten minutes later, in the village, followed by the Sea King from Portland circling overhead for about twenty minutes. Both pilots were said to be safe and well, but have been taken to Yovel Yovel. Oval <laughs> District Hospital be, to be checked over. The BBC is not responsible for the content of external sites. Um, I have no idea why I'm reading that. <laughs> why is that even there? I don't know. <laughs> uh, you know, it'd be fun if you guys just typed in little sentences like that that look like everything else, and I just, I'd just read it like you know, Anchorman. Nick used to. Well, we used to in the to. old days, but you very rarely. Co- you know. I know. Usually, so, I, you I'm were able catching to, on to them for a while. I usually pick those out. <laughs> anyway, Lewis Gaylord, Gaylord, a military aviation journalist and former Sea Vixen team member, said, "It's a terrible shame what has happened to Sea Fury." Victor X-Ray 281 this afternoon. The best news is that both aircrew are safe, which is the most important. After all the hard work, time, and money spent of getting the Fury back into the air and with an appearance at Shuttleworth scheduled for this coming Sunday, it is a great shame to all involved. Hopefully there might be a way to repair the damage to the aircraft, but no doubt this will take considerable amount a considerable amount of money for Navy wings, which they have very little of. And... uh Yeah, what a shame. 
Uh, yeah, the, I mean, mm-hmm. it, it raises the age-old question of uh, when you've got these truly historic aircraft, uh, is it right and proper to uh, fly them regularly? Mm. And you've made that uh, point there, many times. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there, there are two sides to the argument. You know, you, it's such a shame to see them laid up, getting dusty in a uh, museum. But on the other hand, you know, when you have a crash like this and the cost it involved in uh, getting the damn thing uh, working uh, when it crashed back in, was it 2014 or something it crashed? Yes. Uh, yeah. Uh, it hasn't been um, airworthy for that long. And now they had an engine failure. Or at least I think we assumed it was an engine failure. If I were and in charge looks, of oh, sorry, yeah. no, if I were in charge of pretty, this one, I would say just, you know, put it back to museum quality and you know doesn't have to be in airworthy condition and just enjoy it there and if yeah, it's the last yeah, it's I know. It's such mm-hmm. a fantastic uh, aircraft though and and it you know it just is lovely uh, part of the problem and we we've discussed this um with the people who have the money to get these things fixed um is that they don't fly very often the pilots who get qualified to fly them uh, don't get many hours on them. Uh, the airframes and the aircraft, the engines, particularly if they're original, uh, you know, they weren't reliable when they were brand new back in the war. Uh, they had plenty of failures. Uh, it's even worse now. Um, so, you know, you, you really do uh, have a big problem um, trying to keep these things from from crashing. So, yeah, it's, it's such a shame. Um, my only feeling is that, um, you should do all your, your work within gliding distance of an airfield, hopefully. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I can't always do that, I know. But uh, it would have been great if they'd been able to pull up and force land at, uh, at Yeovilton. That would have been the business, but mm-hmm. they couldn't, yeah. sadly. I just want to clarify for the people in the chat room. I was just talking about this specific aircraft now that it's crashed twice. Maybe just, you know put it back to the pieces back together and put it in a museum. But <laughs> for other day. aircraft, I actually, yeah, for other aircraft, especially if it's not the very, maybe not the very last um, example of its type. Yeah. Fly them. I mean, you want to see well, the in the air. You see the uh, RAF um, Battle of Britain Memorial flight. I have the only Spitfire mm-hmm. left that is still flying that actually flew in the Battle of Britain and mm-hmm. they fly it regularly. So you think to yourself, well, that's that's a fantastically historic aircraft. Yeah. Having said that, there are probably um, museum pieces already of, of ex-Battle of Britain uh, sure. um, Spitfires. Sure. So you think to yourself, well, if there are a few in a museum already, then perhaps it's not. Fly so the bad. rest, definitely. It, yeah, it is. Um, but uh, it's it. I don't know where they're going to get the money. Uh, you know, having raised uh, over a quarter of a million pounds last time. They're going to need even more this time. I mean, it does look a bit of a mess, doesn't it? The engine has separated the uh, uh, it's upside down the fuselage. No. no, it does not look good. That's yeah, a good assessment stuff. <laughs> um, speaking <laughs> very of very technical. Speaking very of technical. assessments, yeah. there are some um, troublemakers in the uh, live audience, um, basically complaining about uh, Steph and my pronunciation american pronunciation of certain words and one of them um adam spink says twas ever twas ever thus nev but liz yeah did we have some kind of feedback uh, from adam uh, that we yes, were sir, scheduled we to play in today's show it's been it's been eliminated okay thank yeah, you she's, she's taking care of it so <laughs> we, won't, we won't be hearing that today 
I gather Adam <laughs> has his own show now. Uh, it's called um, Plane Safety Podcast. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, I've heard of that. Yeah, Adam is great. I yeah. love that. Hostile takeover. Yeah. He is. He's yeah. very good at it. Yeah, uh-huh. exactly. T- occasionally, I hear some other voices. I don't know who they are. <laughs> <laughs> no, no one does. But, uh, and we always recognize Adam. <laughs> oh, looks uh, like he's planning to take this one over too. That's Uh-oh. fine. You can have it. It's <laughs> yeah. all yours. Give us a break. <laughs> we'll just walk away. <laughs> it's all yours. Good luck. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, moving on. Flybe flies again. Uh, let's see. Reborn UK regional carrier Flybe has secured 86 summer season slots at London Heathrow and uh, that it plans to use for services to Edinburgh and Aberdeen in Scotland. Data published by Airport Slot Coordinator ACL on 26 April shows the carrier received the slots from British Airways for the period of 28 April to 30 October. It lists the aircraft to be utilized as a de Havilland Canada-8-400. And uh, let's see, the original Flybe operation ceased flights in March 2020. Sirium's data, data shows that Flybe purchased a Dash 8400 with Pratt & Whitney Canada PW150A engines from Austrian Airlines on 22 January. BA was required to provide the slots because of, of an agreement with the European Commission that obliges the IAG-owned carrier to supply slots to any competitor seeking to begin services on certain routes from Heathrow as part of its takeover of BMI in 2012. Anyway, it's good to hear that uh, Flybe, which we not that long ago were kind of talking about their their early uh, and sad demise, uh, looks like yeah. they're they're not dead completely. So that's good. I, I, I think yet. they ought to perhaps give it a. I know they renamed it Flybe Limited. Mm-hmm. Okay, I guess that's because it only does a, a few flights. Uh, but uh, I think perhaps they should rename it uh, Fly Maybe uh, <laughs> would be mm-hmm. a suitable name. Mm. Dale, I flew Flyby on a Dash 8 out of Heathrow to Edinburgh. No. Oh, how about that? Oh. Pre their demise. Was it purple? Pre their original demise. It uh, don't remember if the flight there was purple or the one on the way back. One was purple, one was white with purple and accents. Stuff was green. Because oh. it was kind of Usually. bumpy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah fly was it noisy? I'm just curious. Noisy? Yeah. Uh, no. Great big fans going. No, okay, good. No, I sat forward of them, so it wasn't so bad. Hmm. A shadow of its former self, says Adam. What a shame. Yeah, so yeah. Mind you, better that than nothing, I guess. Yep. Mm hmm. Start somewhere. Yep. Even if it's starting over. Exactly. All right, moving on. Um, This one from. What? Oh, it's from the Aviation Herald. Simon's wonderful aviation news incident accident uh, crash um, reporting website. An Air Falcon Boeing 737-300 freighter registration Alpha Papa Bravo November Z Zulu performing flight. How's that, Nick? Am I doing better? Performing flight uh, FPK 316 from, ooh, our... Argaiza, Somaliland or Somalia to Sharjah, uh, United Arab Emirates departed the city that starts with an H's runway 24, climbed to flight level 350 en route and landed on Sharjah's 
I'm probably mispronouncing that one too. Is it Sharjah? Sharjah? It's uh, Sharjah. Okay. Yeah. That sounds pretty close to what I was saying. Runway 30, about six and six hours, 15 minutes. No, six six hours, 15 minutes after departure from Hargeza. Any any corrections there? No. I I feel like I'm on no, I was walking on eggshells all of a sudden. I can't correct you Hargeza. and drink beer Hargeza. at the same time. I'm not <laughs> a very I, I don't know how to pronounce the one. <laughs> That's why I always ventriloquist, you know. I always ask for a correction when I see you with your bottle cranked up to your mouth. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay. Um, a post-flight inspection revealed an unknown object had collided with the aircraft's left horizontal stabilizer, causing two holes in the leading edge of the left horizontal stabilizer and leaving dents and penetrations on the elevator as well as the vertical rudder, as opposed to the horizontal rudder. Uh, the aircraft is, that's a joke. Uh, the aircraft is un- undergoing temporary repairs at, uh, in Sharjah before positioning to its home base in Pakistan for final repair. Uh, they're going to need a couple of rolls of speed tape for that, aren't they? Yeah. So when I first read this, I didn't, I didn't scroll down and look at the, uh, the pictures. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and they're I'm thinking, quite I'm, impressive. Well, I thought there were a couple of little holes, you know, like that's no big deal, but these are not just a couple little pinholes. Call these gashes. <laughs> yeah, here, let me uh, share this with everybody that's uh, in the live audience here. And they can kind of take a look at the, some of these uh, photos, which are quite interesting. And uh, let's see, is that the one? Yes, I think so. Okay. So there we go. We have, um, that's the left uh, horizontal stabilizer from looking from the ground upwards. I believe. Or tailplane, if you're English. tailplane, if you'd like, or fin. Definitely not the vertical rudder. Not the vertical (laughs) rudder. But I don't know if you... It's the horizontal rudder. If if you have a keen eye, yeah, look for that horizontal rudder. Uh, Let's see. There is another uh, APU door and housing damage. And look at that one. That's nice. These last um, images are taken from... Uh, poor video, as Simon says, <laughs> and this is still taken from the video. That look at that. That's a that's a substantial gash in the uh, left stabilizer, and the other hole in the leading edge of the left stabilizer is still frame. And then we have left elevator, and finally, oh, that's it. Kind of an odd, uh, what? Uh, what do you call it? The uh, <laughs> help me some perspective. I'm not well, sure what you're referring well, to the the, the, oh, uh, the perspective. The perspective, not the perspective, but like what do you call that? The you're the photographer. Um, view. Uh, Nick, you know the uh, when you like sixteen by nine, three by four square um, layout, aspect. I guess, or aspect on the uh, photo. There, just kind of a weird. Very, I, I very just enjoy watching you. <laughs> I, you must, because nobody was yeah. helping. Not even Liz was saying anything to me. Well, I was like, like oh, thanks. Well, just we, leave we me were, hanging there. We, were so, we had aspect no idea what you were is, struggling for. Steph got it right. It's the aspect yeah. ratio. Thank you. Yes, that was what I was looking for. <laughs> A little bit quicker next time, though. Okay, please. Up Thank you. Sir. No problem. Anyway. What do you think about that? Oh, the interesting thing I thought regarding this is that um, somebody, a reader, uh, contacted the Aviation Herald and made Simon aware that there was a gap in the the available data transmitted by the transponder between 953 Zulu and 1311 Zulu. At 953, the aircraft had been at flight level 320, about 73 nautical miles west of Bazasso. 
uh, then uh, was no longer received until 1311 when the aircraft resurfaced at flight level 350, about 260 nautical miles east-northeast from their previously last mode S position. Uh, the Aviation Herald thus checked the possibilities of the aircraft having made an intermediate stop in Bosaso, uh, Puntland, Somalia, in Dian, Yemen, or even Aden, or Aden, Yemen. Aden. Aden. On April yeah. 30th, uh, 2021, it became known that uh, Puntland's CAA had released a NOTAM during April 26, 2021, indicating there was work in progress at Bosaso's runway and safety area of runway 27, which was quickly replaced by another NOTAM advising caution to crews for takeoff and landing due to work in progress at the runway and surface area of runway 27. The threshold of runway 27 was displaced by 200 meters due to that work. The only difference between the two NOTAMs is the starting point of the works in progress, initially reported on April 27th, 2021 at 3.30 UTC, then on April 27th, 2021 at 7.30 Zulu. On April 30th, the Aviation Herald received information that pieces of asphalt were found to have caused the damage of the tailplane, also affecting the APU access door and APU housing. The aircraft is being repaired. So, there you go. That's uh You know, we've always we've been whinging about no terms, haven't we, and about mm -hmm. how awful they are, etc. And this, to me, uh, is a bit of a classic because... Uh, all right, it says there's a uh, displaced threshold, uh, 200 meters from the published threshold. Okay, so land 200 meters deep, that's fine. And then it says pilots are to exercise uh, caution when landing and taking off due to working progress. What the hell does that mean? I Use mean, caution. Can you always exercise <laughs> caution when you land and take off? I mean, all the caution. extra caution. No, I, there's only a certain amount of caution. <laughs> As much caution apply. as you can muster. It's like <laughs> you're you're like you're sort of pregnant, or you are pregnant, or uh, <laughs> I I I always you know, kind of chuckle as well when you see use vigilance. Well, we always use vigilance. Uh, I know. In, in medicine, the uh, equivalent uh, phraseology is clinical correlation advised. Oh, when you receive some sort of oh. result. So you don't normally so. use clinical coordination. Exactly, that's what it implies. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, it's a it's a futile uh, piece of information. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, if you want to if you want to tell pilot to do something, give him some parameters to work with. We're, we're always exercising the most amount of caution we can. So don't just tell us to do more. I mean, it's 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 ridiculous. But there you go. It's no terms for you. My rant over. Well, I mean. If, since we're talking about NOTAMs, we should probably play this. That's what NOTAMs are. They're just a bunch of garbage that nobody pays any attention to. <laughs> I love that clip. Yep, that is the chairman of the National Transportation Safety Board. We love him. We, we do. He's great. <laughs> Our hero. I still love it when he had the thing and he, had, he was reading all these, like, had just pages and pages and pages of all these notes. It goes, and then he starts ranting about the birds are in the vicinity of the airport. Goes, like, birds are in the, birds vicinity in the vicinity of every, every airport. airport. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But they're still, but that, Absolutely. every ATIS you hear probably says, caution. Yeah. Birds, birds in, birds in the vicinity of the airport. <laughs> okay. <Yeah>. Trees too. <laughs> all right. Yeah, cranes. Um, Cranes, all that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. All right. Um, Obst obstruction yes. lights. 
out. Mm -hmm. So many things. <laughs> I, I especially like the ones, I don't know if you've ever seen any of these with your Jeppesen package or whatever, that uh, there will be like a page or two of just all these coordinates and then like it, identifying exactly <laughs> where a tree is and the exact height of the tree. I mean, you would have to spend hours. So much time on like Google Maps or something yeah. like putting in coordinates. And I, yeah, I look at that and go, what? What purpose is this? this? What are they expecting me to yeah, do? Yeah, that's crazy. Well, you know, if your autopilot's got you stuck at 500 feet, you yeah. might want to know where those trees are. It may have been good to look at. <laughs> <laughs> well, when I was in the Air Force, we used to have quizzes about, uh, you know, documents and things. And one of my favorites was to ask someone to tell me how high this tree was at the end of a runway at an airport in New Zealand. And they'd look it up and they'd come back and say, it's 32 feet. And I'd say, no, it's not. And they'd say, well, it says here it's 32 feet. And I said, I, but have you looked at the notes? Because uh, that was uh, measured back in 1985. <laughs> and it says average growth two feet per year. So you have to actually work out oh, no. what the average growth of the tree is and work out how many years since it was last measured to get the actual height of the tree. So add 60 feet to it. So it's like, it's like a hundred foot tall tree now. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. It's so tall. You can't take off anymore. I love uh, this comment from Dale Williams in our live audience. I had a no-tam the other day, grass cutting at the airfield, but the airport is literally in the middle of the Sahara, <laughs> not a blade of grass within 1,000 nautical miles. Oh, uh, I wish that you'd be able to. Awesome. Get a Take screenshot a or something of that, of that or yeah. a picture of that. Yeah. That's yeah. awesome. <laughs> okay. Oh, we're all. Let's. Uh, oh, no, Tams. Let's. Uh, oh, no, Tams. We love them. <laughs> uh, but supposedly they're they're fixing it. <laughs> They've been fixing it for. I'm not going to time. hold my breath on that one. Nope. But, you know, the Ikeo thing, right, was like uh, just last month or a few weeks ago. They had some kind of a special thing where they were going to get together and figure out how to fix this mess. Yeah, a special conference or committee or whatever. Yeah, I think they were going to fix much of the mesh. They were just trying to get rid of the ones that are recurring or older than three months. I mean, that's mm. a start, but it's a relatively small proportion. Yeah. So I guess you've got to start somewhere. Got to start somewhere, I guess. Yeah. Okay. Uh, continuing on, FAA proposes civil penalties against three passengers for allegedly interfering with flight attendants. And also here, a bonus. A Netflix Z-lister convicted of abusing cabin crew, and uh, let's see. For uh, we'll start with for the with the first one here, and this is from the press office at FAA.gov. The first case is sent in by Micah. Sent in by no, it says here it's sent in by Mitch. <laughs> oh, is it? Oh. Yeah, but that oh nope, Micah. Control room is telling Mitch. me it's Micah, not Mitch. Yeah. Um, the U.S. Department okay. of Transportation's Federal Aviation Administration proposes civil penalties of, well, here's the first one, $31,750 against a passenger on January 4, 2021, a JetBlue Airlines flight from Haiti to Boston, Mass. The FAA alleges the passenger drank his personal alcohol, which JetBlue did not provide, and acted in a disruptive manner. The passenger yelled and waved his hands in an angry manner after flight attendants responded to a report from another passenger who complained about his behavior. The FAA further alleges this passenger grabbed the arms of two separate flight attendants during the flight and the cabin crew needed to reseat uh, surrounding passengers. 
The flight crew asked law enforcement to meet the aircraft at the arrival gate, and police escorted the passenger off the plane. Uh, the next one, $16,750 against another passenger on the same January 4th, 2021 JetBlue's flight from Haiti to Boston. And uh, the FAA alleges the passenger was drinking his personal alcohol. Uh, personal alcohol seems to be a popular thing on JetBlue Airlines. Um, let's see. Active, act, he acted in a disruptive manner. The passenger yelled, shouted obscenities, and made motions to strike a flight attendant when they arrived at his seat in response to a complaint from another passenger. The flight crew asked law enforcement to meet the aircraft at the gate, and then they escorted him to some wonderful accommodations in a prison cell, apparently. Um, also, uh, this one, SkyWest, not JetBlue, um, $14,500 on January 14th, 2021, from Yuma, Arizona, to Dallas-Fort Worth, Texas. Uh, the passenger during the flight drank multiple 50 milliliter bottles of his own alcohol. We have a theme here, uh, which the airline did not provide. The passenger reportedly turned around and tried to touch a passenger behind him. As a result, flight attendants moved him to another seat. After he was moved, he continued to bother passengers around him and to leave. He just, he's just, he just wants to love people. I think he just wants to, you know, just reach out and touch someone. At one point, two off duty law enforcement officers had to physically wrestle him back into a seat but the passenger, again, got up and started to walk to the front of the aircraft. <laughs> it's a glutton for punishment, apparently. A flight attendant yelled at him to sit down, and the law enforcement officer sat in the row behind him. As a result of the passenger's behavior, the captain requested priority handling from air traffic control and asked the, the law, that law enforcement meet the aircraft at the arrival gate. Anyway, so there we go. That's uh, three uh, passenger So interestingly... This yeah. came out when this, so this was actually just last week that this mm -hmm. press release came out. Yeah. Um, I've flown a couple of times in the past month commercially and both times in the um, pre-flight safety announcement, there has been, or even maybe just before that, um, there has been an announcement made about passengers are reminded that they're not allowed to drink their personal alcohol that was not provided to them on board the aircraft. Acme so. is doing the same thing. I wonder if it's I'm a result. If it's in response to these uh, several incidences. So this would have all been fine if they bought the alcohol from the airline. Yeah? Yes, they, they well, they wouldn't no. have been any no. problems whatsoever. No, no. But they're not serving alcohol, or they weren't back then. Oh, well, oh some right. airlines. Oh. Now some they airlines are. Have well, I don't know if JetBlue no. was or not. No, okay. I don't know about JetBlue. If you're, it depends on where you're sitting um, mm -hmm. in America on American Airlines. Okay. But they've been serving the whole time. As to whether you can oh, drink yeah. or not, oh. whether they have alcohol. Whether they are providing seats. alcohol service or not. Oh, okay. Uh, mm -hmm. okay. Mm -hmm. Well, this is an interesting one, and um, the I got to show you the picture of this guy. Maybe you would you all recognize him over in the UK. Um, I don't. Never heard of this. He looks a bit person. like Max Headroom. He looks scary to me, actually. I mean, have you, do you remember? He does, Max look, like Max Max he does look like yeah, Max Headroom. Yeah, You're right. Maybe this is what he's been doing all these years. Yes. But no, this is Matthew Mahini, uh, 29 years old, of Mayfair, Westminster, admitted being a person on board an aircraft failing to obey the lawful commands of a pilot when he appeared at uh, UX Bridge. Uxbridge. Uxbridge. Yeah, well, Uxbridge. Okay. Gotcha. I got you, Nick. Magistrate's no, no. Court. Just Uxbridge. Just yes. Uxbridge. Ux. Okay. Ux. <laughs> Ux, I got it. Ux. Ux, yours. <laughs> Nick, yeah. I need a drink, too. <laughs> yeah, I 
He's getting hot. Get Jeff I do need. I need to get a beer. I think uh, this is an offense under Article 244 of the Air Navigation Order 2016, which I happen to have a copy of right here. No, which has a maximum penalty of a fine at level four on summary conviction. No idea what that means. He also admitted a charge of using threatening, abusive, or insulting words or behavior. Okay, let's talk about what he did here. Um, he was returning home after filming for the second series of a dating show uh, entitled Too Hot to Handle and was accompanied by fellow contestants Harry Johnson. <laughs> it's a joke there. And mm, Bo Greenslade. What? It says. what? It's, 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 it's his name. It's what it yeah, says. That, uh, according to this article, that's his name. And Bo Greenslade, 23, who also admitted both offenses today. Cabin crew approached the trio and asked Johnson and Greenslade to tone it down after they were seen kissing and behaving intimately in their seats. They were repeatedly asked to put their face masks on, but refused to do so. The captain of the aircraft issued each of them with a written warning and decided they would not be served any more alcohol. Any more alcohol. Key. Prosecutor Christelle McCracken told the court that British Airways stewardesses, Heather, oh, you don't call them flight attendants over there, huh? You call them stewardesses? Interesting. Heather oh, Wen. Whoever wrote this article. Ah, we don't. Okay. Didn't think so. Uh, Heather Wen and Sophie Griffiths had been the target of most of the abuse. When Ms. Wen and Ma, Ma, Ma Henny. Ma Winnie. Ma Winnie. Ma Winnie. Oh, yeah. don't, don't talk about Ma Winnie on the show. That's kind of embarrassing. <laughs> If you were a horse, I would agree. <laughs> All right. That he could not have any more alcoholic alcoholic drinks. He told her, go and effing look up who my mom is, Baroness Scotland. <laughs> okay. Uh, doesn't mean anything to me. Uh, I'm a gold card holder. Go and get me a drink. Yeah. He screwed up the written warning he had received. I guess that means he crumpled up the paper or something. I've never heard that term. <laughs> I that we made a mistake. Screwed to the, I know that's that's my definition of screwed up, but uh okay. Yes, he crumpled up the, the Okay. morning. And uh that that he had received from the captain and proceeded to leave his seat and perform press-ups in the aisle despite being instructed to remain in the seat by crew members. <laughs> that's what I always want to do when people uh when I get angry, me I just warning. go do push-ups. <laughs> Let's do some push-ups in the aisle. That's going to impress everyone. <laughs> no, it didn't. Uh, she told the cabin crew, oh, the Greenslade, a legal secretary, also became abusive. She told the cabin crew, take my tray away. Don't you know I'm an effing secretary? I will take your job away from you. Now, secretary, I guess, is not like um, a secretary for a, a boss in an office. <laughs> secretary yeah, must be. She well, is a legal. I, yeah, she I'm is assuming legal. not. It's just that that's exactly what it sounds like. Oh, okay. She is. She is. Okay. Thank you, a secretary in the UK is just, you know, usually just an administrative person sitting behind yeah. a desk. So she's making it sound like she has some kind of superpowers or something to have well, people. Well, an effing secretary is someone who does something else. But <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Well, yeah, let's move on. When another passenger asked Greenslade to stop being abusive towards the crew, she told them, shut up, you effing C-word. <laughs> <laughs> Beep, 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 beep. Yeah, a lot of nice. beeping going on here. Johnson, a tree surgeon, 
Yes. Harry, <laughs> Harry Johnson, He's a surgeon, a tree surgeon, He's a surgeon, called Ms. Wen a biatch, and when he also received a note from the captain saying he was barred from further alcohol. What a great trio of people here! These are fine people, uh, fine outstanding yes. human beings. Yeah, yes. upstanding for sure. Greenslade was heard saying "f these people" and "f the captain," <laughs> telling the the stewardesses, flight attendants, "Look at me when I'm talking to you." And telling everyone how rude she thought the crew were when they were told. Mm-hmm. The well, police... there were people being rude. Yes, yes. They were the ones, yes. This but is the best bit. This, this next bit. When I they were told this. the police might be called upon called upon landing, Greenslade, the secretary with amazing powers to get people fired, replied, <laughs> call the police. They won't effing do anything. Hmm. She was wrong. Yeah. Police were called wah, wah. and all three were arrested. <laughs> they were Yay. given some new bracelets. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's right. Shiny. Just some new jewelry Shiny. for you. <laughs> some new jewelry, yes. In the letter to the court, Maweni expressed his remorse. This is the most shameful and embarrassing thing that has ever happened to me. I make no I think attempt. Being on this reality TV <laughs> yeah. program was the most shameful and embarrassing thing, but yeah. there you go. No, yeah. This might outpace yeah. that i'm not sure that is interesting liz is making the point the the choice of words here this is the most shameful and embarrassing thing that has ever happened to me well he's the one oh, that yes. made it happen <laughs> i make no yes. attempt to excuse what happened now that you know shows some remorse i guess uh yeah knowing that they're going to get you know fines and possible i don't know would there be but he any... still hasn't actually admitted that he did anything no he did not he's the most of Embarrassing thing that happened. I make no excuse. What happened to what happened? Uh, he doesn't say it was me. I did it, and I apologize. He, that's the trouble with these people. They don't know how to apologize. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and and I'm a person who's had to do a lot of apologizing in my life, so I'm quite <laughs> an expert. You're you're familiar with this? Yes, I most certainly. He's am. our expert apologist. Okay, well. Anyway, Muhammad. You have to show remorse, you know. Yes, you do. Muhammad Reza Ali, Ali, mitigating for Johnson and Greenslade, said this was the opportunity of a lifetime. And you are quite right when you say that they had this sense of entitlement that they probably never had before as a result of the TV program. It was youth, nativity, naivete, (laughs) naivete. There we go. I got it. I get it eventually. Sorry. And stupidity. I just hear myself saying the word and go, oh, that's not right. It was youth, um, yeah, and stupidity. They were aware that things are not going to be easy in relation to the publicity. Anyway, it goes on. Talks about how remorseful and everything they were supposedly were. horrible were. people, basically. Yeah. Well, that Liz just summed it up. They're horrible people, basically. Yeah. So, uh, But the, the fines were considerably less than the Americans got. I know. I was kind of really kind of shocked by the little amount of money that they had to pay in fines. Um, mm. Let's see. Each How were much fined was it again? 1,500 pounds and ordered to pay 500 pounds in compensation to the flight attendants, uh, each 500 pounds. And then they were each ordered to pay 85 pounds toward prosecution costs. Wow. What a bargain. That's shockingly cheap. I know. Yes. I mean, that's like... That can't be right. When I first read this, I'm thinking they, that's they like some 15 zeros? minutes worth of a lawyer's time. Oh, I know. Maybe 15 minutes. Maybe. Um, yeah. So if you add all this stuff up, I mean, it's hardly anything that they, they paid here, which is very interesting, I think. 
right. Hmm. There you go. Well, we we have our bad passenger behavior. You should have played bad boys there. Bad. I should have played, but I'll tell you what. Liz is requesting something here. I could only play that little snippet there without getting in trouble. Right, I understand. Just, okay, just, uh, you know, kind of think about that in the background. There we go. Got it. All right. Let's continue on. Uh, This is an incident that uh, happened to an Avior, Avior, uh, Boeing 737-400 near Terra Poto on December 6th, 2019. They had a loss of cabin pressure. Uh, they were uh, flying from Lima, Peru, to Caracas, Venezuela, with 133 passengers and six crew at flight level 330 near Terrapoto, Peru, when the crew initiated an emergency descent due to the sudden loss of cabin pressure. The passenger oxygen masks were released. The aircraft stopped the descent at flight level 190 due to the minimum safe altitude above the terrain, these things called the Andy, Andes Mountains and were later cleared to flight level 090, 9,000 feet-ish, by ATC when terrain clearance was assured. The aircraft diverted to Terrapoto for a safe landing on runway 35. A baby was taken to a hospital for a precautionary check. The airline reported all passengers are in good health. On April 25th of this year, Peru's CIAA released their final report in Spanish only, and then the rant from Simon. <laughs> Simon loves that. It's yes. Not in yeah. English. <laughs> uh, the report concludes the probable cause of the serious incidents uh, incident were the outflow and safety relief valves were unable to operate due to being blocked by insulation blankets covering the walls and the tail compartment of the aircraft. The blankets became loose for unknown reasons, which resulted in a sudden depressurization of the aircraft. Contributing was that there are no procedures for repeated slash continuous inspections of the tail compartment where both valves are being installed. Short time available probably caused the non-application of the manufacturer's procedures so that the blankets were not assured to remain in place. Uh, Let's see. So um, basically what happened here is uh, you said, Liz, that you'd read somewhere. Is it actually in this article? Yeah, there's a second article. Okay, second article here. Thank you. From uh, from another source. How anti-drug inspections led to 737 depressurization and diversion. Um, So, you know, we talked about the loose insulation blankets uh, blocking the outflow valves in the uh, tail section of the aircraft. Uh, when they were flying between Lima and Caracas, they had the uh, rapid decompression uh, or depressurization. And uh, let's see, let me go down here. Frequent anti-drug inspections were carried out on the aircraft, which included the rear part of the narrow body. According to the report, the airline had no procedures in place to allow for police officers to, to inspect the tail compartment of the twin jet and that it was likely these checks which caused the detachment of the material. So you have uh, police um, you know, doing inspections for drugs and um, you know, tearing apart stuff, looking behind cracks and crevices and all that kind of stuff or uh, to possibly find some drugs. And apparently they didn't understand the importance of making do we, sure. Do we secure these insulation yeah. blankets? Nah, just leave them there. That's fine. Yeah. What, yeah, what, what harm could exactly there be? What <laughs> yeah. Of course, they probably don't quite understand the way pressurization works in an airplane and what those 
No, it's, it's just mess about with all this uh, all this airplane equipment and just dump it. Yeah, uh, it's probably worth uh, explaining how the blocking of the outflow and safety relief valves causes depressurization. Because think about uh, the fuselage is uh, as a sealed container. Uh, we're going to pump air in, and we're going to let it out at a controlled rate. And by doing so, we control the level of pressurization. Uh, so how does it depressurize when the outflow, the two valves going out, uh, become blocked? Because you would think that would increase uh, the amount of pressure, not decrease it, which is exactly what happened. So the outflow valves um, were blocked. Now, they're the ones that are regulated to keep the pressure in the cabin at the right level, uh, you know, about 6,500 feet, about, uh, I don't know what PSI it is in a... Uh, um, in fact, 6.4 PSI, it says here, which is remarkably similar to the height and feet MSL. Anyway, by the way, um, those outflow valves became blocked, so the pressure in the cabin began to increase. And there is a safety valve that will event prevent the cabin from overpressurizing. And that safety valve opened, uh, but it <laughs> once the pressure was reduced, it's supposed to close again. Um uh, but it got jammed by yet more of this loose insulation. Mm. So it can the air continued to escape through the safety valve uh, until the aircraft depressurized. So, you know, it, it was actually, you know, a couple of Swiss cheese layers in there for, for this all to occur. Um, but th that might explain why uh, the aircraft depressurized when these two valves were, or series of valves were, Blocked. That makes sense because initially I was trying to work out that that scenario, and I thought, well, maybe the insulation blankets, you know, kept the uh, outflow valves from completely closing and not being able to maintain pressurization. But that makes a lot of sense with the uh, the overpressure. Yeah, I, when I first valves. read it, I thought perhaps the crew had realized there was an overpressure and just mm -hmm. turned off the pressurization mm -hmm. uh, and descended. But that wasn't the case. It actually was the the outflow, the sorry, the uh, emergency relief valve being yeah. stuck open. Yeah, multiple valve types being stuck. Yep. Yeah. Basically. But, yeah. I mean, how how these things are supposed to be ripped apart without the presence of an engineer to <laughs> observe what they're doing and put it back together again? I don't know. I'm wondering if they even knew that the police were doing these kind of inspections. Uh, well, perhaps not. Perhaps hmm. not. Oh, and the other thing is of great interest is if you're going to get one of these, the last place you want it to happen is over, over in a mountain High range. terrain where yeah. you don't have the so Andes. You have to follow the special escape. <laughs> yeah. uh, what do they call those escape routes or something? Yes. Like that? Uh, yeah, yeah Critical exactly one. right. Yeah. So, I mean, there are lots of places in the world where there's very high terrain because you want to get the aircraft down to 10,000 feet or below so that all the passengers can breathe air that comes in through the rammer inlets. Uh, uh, and that height is sufficient to stop you from suffering major problems if you're yeah. 10,000 feet or below. In fact, 14,000 feet you can do for a while, they reckon. But they were stuck at nineteen thousand feet because they couldn't go down any lower because they're over a mountain range. Yeah, that would be even worse. Right. <laughs> yeah, it says the yeah. the oxygen masks were uh, needed to be used for the full time of thirteen minutes that the generators were able to provide. That's not a very long no. time either mm -hmm. uh, on our aircraft because we flew over fairly high terrain on our way through China and um, mainly through China, occasionally through Afghanistan. 
Uh, we had full 20 minutes. Uh, 13 minutes is not very long mm. in order to get down to at least 14,000 people. And in the flight deck, uh, you have quite a complicated step-down procedure to go through, uh, not forgetting that the pilots have now got the the you know the big octopus stuck on their faces mm -hmm. so communication is difficult seeing out of the if you particularly if you forget to pull off the rip off <laughs> the rip off <laughs> protection layer on your mask uh seeing as it can be a problem um uh, so they're working in difficult uh, circumstances trying to control the airplane in an emergency descent and then also trying to read uh and obey the uh, descent profile over high terrain, pick the route that they will get them into low terrain as quickly as possible, and then looking for a diversion. It, it's, you know, for uh, any pilot who flies over high terrain, it's probably one of the worst times you could have had this. Mm -hmm. Did not envy them. They did a good job. The, yeah, they did. The pilots certainly did. So it yeah. sure seems that way. Got it down on the ground safely, and the only injury was uh, probably some ear issues with the the pressurization for that uh, infant, which has very yeah. tiny little mustation tubes, right? Is that right? What are those uh, stuff? Yeah. Uh, the little, yeah. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, they're just not going to be as, as readily able to equalize that pressure. So mm -hmm. it was probably yeah. quite they, they, fussy afterwards. And yeah, that was probably the If issue. you shout out them, do a Valsalva, they probably won't understand. Yeah. Why not? Probably I, I understand not anyone means. really under the age of, I'm trying to think what year I might have learned, how old I was when I learned what that word You know what? Meant. Probably a lot of the people that listen to the show probably don't know what a Valsalva mm. maneuver is. A Valsalva maneuver. Okay. Um, if you hold your nose and um, breathe out as if you were trying to blow through your nose, instead of because you're holding your nose and blocking it, the uh, air pressure will go through the eustachian tubes, which are connected from the back of the nose into the inner ear, and they will help relieve the low pressure that's occurred on the inside of your eardrum and help equalize the pressure with the outside of your eardrum, which is where the pain comes from if you were uh, So it's, it it's really any maneuver that you can do physiologically for yourself to increase pressure somewhere within your body. You do it for other important Excellent. physiologic tasks as well, but that would be the one related to You can also to do it by moving your jaw backwards and forwards or just mm -hmm. sucking a, a Chewing a gum can help sweet. a lot. Or yeah, yeah, true. yeah. Mm -hmm. exactly right. All right. Yeah. Uh, putting a knitting needle in your ear is not, a not good idea. ideal. Not, That's not, not the suggested. Not recommended. Not recommended by the APG. But I do know a few pilots that have had rubber grommets put in their ears because uh -huh. they had very small eustachian tubes and continually have problems yep. um, equalizing pressure. Here we call them tubes. So. But the tubes what? in the ear. Yeah, yeah one of my neighbors You're had oh, that okay. done. Mm -hmm. All right, excellent. All right. Well, we call them grommets because we have a cartoon called Wallace and Gromit. Ah. I'm only checking. Is that not why? really okay. true? <laughs> <laughs> I believe it. True. All right. Uh, let's yeah. continue on with the last item in the. Um, oh, wait. Oh, yeah. yeah Delta P. I'm sorry. Um, hang on. Hang on. Uh, did someone say Delta P? There we go. It's been a while since we played that bell. Okay. Uh, thank you, Ray. <laughs> My neighbor to the north and Alfreda. Uh, last item in the news is this, and I just happened to catch this uh, looking at some of the uh, YouTube aviation-related stuff. And uh, we talked about 
What was the, the name of the uh, former Microsoft? Um, uh, Paul Allen. Paul Allen. Thank you. Wasn't he the one that uh, ended up like funding most Correct. of the money for this yep. uh, company to create a, um, a strato launch, a um, very large airborne rocket launch platform, which essentially took um, a lot of the big pieces of 747s, uh, two of them, and put them together. And, uh, of course, the wing is entirely different. It's a very straight wing, and they have three pylon-mounted engines on either side of the uh, the outboard of the two fuselages. I'm just kind of amazed how this thing doesn't just break up uh, in flight. I mean, that that wing box in between the two fuselage sections must just be incredibly strong. Uh, and that's, of course, where they're going to mount the whatever the, it is that they're going to launch some kind of a rocket or whatever in the future. Uh, but anyway, it had its second flight and apparently they have nicknamed the airplane now. They call it Rock, R-O-C, and I'm sure that stands for something. Um, well, in the United Kingdom, it's the Royal Observer Corps, but mm, you, that probably, probably isn't what they not. mean. Yeah. So, um, but I do have a little bit of video that shows... Um, the most important, it's like a almost four hour long video. Don't worry, we're not going to play the entire thing. Uh, but we will have a link to it in our show notes. But I'm going to play. I took a quick look at it. There's an awful lot of pictures of a very small airplane. Yeah. Oh, the chase plane? Yeah, that's it. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, no the, the actual aircraft. They're photographing a lot of it. Oh, from well, here, the I'm going to show you. Here, hang absolutely on. Absolutely tiny. Let me see if I can um, kind of make you appreciate more its uh, size by sharing this video with everybody. Does size matter? It uh, apparently does, so depending on who you talk to. <laughs> so, they say. so they say, yes. Uh, let's say? see. Uh, flight of the world's largest aircraft by wingspan. Here we go. Open. And then I have to fast forward to the... Three hour and fifty. What did I? I wrote this down somewhere. Three fifty five forty one. Three fifty five forty one. Thank you. Okay, I was hoping that I would just open up exactly in the, this position, but oh. no such oh, luck. Yeah. All right. Sort of jerking around the sky. Yeah. Well, I'm trying to work it so that we start at a reasonable point here. Okay. Here we go. This is on final approach, and it you know it doesn't look that big, but. Those are like essentially 747 fuselage. Well, actually, I don't know. I guess parts of the 747. All right, here we go. Fuselage. Let's see what they do this time. Okay. <laughs> How many engines has it got? Is that Six engines. Is that hello? Yeah. Just the guy on the left work his hello, three and the guy on the yet. right. Wait that until they're going slow right now. Okay. <laughs> anyway, here it comes in, comes in. Oh, wow. <laughs> that shot. <laughs> oh, this might be it. A little bit of a crosswind. Not not bad. Right wheels are down, left wheels are down. Yeah, do you land one side of the plane before the other side? Yes. That's called a that's crosswind landing. Last time as well. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. It really looked like the right hand wheels were down for a significant amount of time. So let me just add that the channel that this comes from is a space flight uh, channel. And they cover rockets and stuff like that. They're they're not really aviation they're not pilots. guys and pilots. <laughs> so I just thought it was kind of amusing how he was just uh, astonished that the all those right wheels came down before the left wheels came down. 
<laughs> and of course, we all know Jeff, that's. Do you want to know why it's called Rock? No. Yes, I do want. I want to know why it's called Rock, Liz. It's named Rock after the giant bird of Arabian and Persian mythology. It's called Rock because for the giant bird. <laughs> Of Say, Arabian, of and, Arabian Persian and Persian mythology. Mm-hmm. A giant bird in Asia. Okay. There you go. Maybe Mohammed knows about Maybe it. Maybe Mohammed a giant uh, bird after a rock. Rocks I, don't fly very well. I know, but maybe... Seems rather inappropriate. Is Mohammed uh, still with us in the uh, chat no, room? No, but... It, well, he might be, but Adam says it's a mythical, mythical bird Mythical bird from, from the, the Arabian, Arabian Nights. Nights. Okay. Okay, there you go. So there it's, it's a night flying bird then. Why do you say that? Because it's the it Arabian comes Nights. From Arabian <laughs> night, and he okay. flies an Arabian Nights. So. Bam. Good one. All right. Wow. I thought it was going to be more exciting than that. <laughs> it's a little anyway. bit uh, anticlimactic, wasn't it? Yeah. For all that, I mean, for all that sorry, size. <laughs> particularly <laughs> after the Virgin 747s, he's already chucking satellites up there. They're a bit late to the game aren't they yeah it's just a different way of doing it I'm not sure that's the most efficient way but there must be some advantages to using an airborne platform um, as far as you know launching it, as opposed to launching it from, straight from the ground the amount of thrust re- required oh, yeah to, I, to, I mean the, the 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 most energy you're gonna consume probably is in the thickest air mm-hmm. so if you can get it into the stratosphere you you know, Bob's your uncle. But like I say, they've got a 747 doing it already. So yep. these guys, uh, perhaps they can carry a bigger payload. I don't know. Possibly. And by the way, I, I, I don't know how many times I'm going to have to tell you this, Nick. Bob is not my uncle. Tom is. Okay. <laughs> Here we go. You sure? I, I'm pretty sure, yeah. I had a, an Uncle Tom. I have an Uncle Tom. And I had an Uncle Dave. Does he have a cabin? Um he might. He lives up in um, up in Minnesota. A lot of the Minnesotans have cabins on lakes. Apparently, there are a lot of lakes up there. Did he write a book called Uncle Tom's. Cabin? He did not write a book called Uncle Tom's Cabin. <laughs> anyway, it's uh, getting to know us. It's that time of the show where we kind of kind of get reacquainted with what everybody has been doing between episodes. And now, young lady. It's been a while since you've been on the show with us. I think um, mm. you were absent the, on the last two. Is that correct? Mm. I absent don't... without leave, I think. Mm-hmm. Was it two? Yeah, I think I so. Two shows? I thought Actually, Nick and I, I did no two idea. that were just uh, on our own. I believe it was two shows. Yeah. Uh, it just I, felt like I, two. I Control room you. is confirming. Two shows, yeah. I don't know what I did with all that time, to be perfectly <laughs> fair. Um, well, no, just make the, something the reason up. that happened... <laughs> I'm going to. Um, okay. The reason I was <laughs> absent without leave um, is because I was in between jobs at that point. And you would think that would give you a lot of time, like free up a lot of time to do extracurricular things. And and seems as though when I have, uh, is the phrase, nature abhors a vacuum. Apparently my schedule abhors a vacuum also because I filled it with all kinds of stuff to do. Um, I did get to, I don't know, you remember which week this was. So if I've already talked about this, you can stop me, but I did get to visit with, um, a friend up in New Hampshire. One of my good friends from med school lives up there. So that direction, mm-hmm. I feel like I talked about that already. Yeah, I think you did. It must have been that same week. Right. I missed two shows. Well, really? I thought you did. Maybe anyway. you were there for only part of one. Mm, maybe anyway. that's the deal. Yeah. Maybe that first one, Nick and I sure. started off, but then you joined us in progress. Perhaps. I don't. 
Anyway, at any rate, I did that. That was the first week, kind of took up some of my time there. Um, the second week, um, I think the day that you all were recording, was that Tuesday last week? Perhaps. Mm, I'm not no. even sure. Uh, we recorded mm-hmm. on what day, Liz, last week? Thursday. Was that Wednesday? Thursday. Okay. Yeah. Thursday? I've got, yeah, I've, I yeah, know that Thursday. was on Thursday too. So um, on Tuesday, um, one of, there was a um, uh, canopy course being hosted by a well-known canopy coach and pilot for skydiving stuff. So I took advantage of that and actually made five skydives on Tuesday last week, which is kind of rare in the middle of the week. Um, just some hop and pops out of the 182 because you're not worried so much about the free fall portion of it, just about the canopy drills and and things like that. And that mostly went pretty well. Um, learned, learned a lot, so that's always good. And then um, on the weekend, last weekend, I um, had my youngest brother and a friend um, come to town and we all went down to Myrtle Beach and ran various uh, races. A couple of us ran the half marathon um, that went fairly well for myself. I've had this uh, nagging knee problem for the past six weeks or so. So I was just happy to get out there and complete the race relatively um, without discomfort and at a uh, not fast pace, but respectable. So that was good. Um, my friend that, that came out from Chicago was, has been nursing a back injury for the past year. So this is the first distance race or event that she's done in quite a long time, even though she's done plenty of full marathons in the past and, um, was able to complete that pain-free as well. So that was, that was a win. Um, my youngest brother had not trained well and was for some reason still signed up for the full length marathon, which is 26 miles. And actually I passed him when he was at about the seven mile point, I was going one way on an out and back. He was coming the other direction. He looked really good and strong and, um, apparently just got very dehydrated about the halfway point and had to stop. So that was not a great day for him, but he's fine. Um, it taught him a lot about uh, fuel management uh, during a race and hydration. So lessons to be learned there. And then um, my other brother was also in town and um, he did a 5K, just kind of spur of the moment and ran a personal best time. So it was a, it was a good weekend for most of us. And it was it was nice weather. Um, we were right on the, the beach down in Myrtle Beach and soaked up some sun and had some good seafood. And that was great. How's so your I apologize name? for my... What's no. that? How's your knee doing now? Oh, I mean, it's kind of the same. It needs yeah. some more work still, but it's, right. this is related to an old trampoline injury from years ago that somehow I've managed oh. to re-aggravate. Yes. The old um, trampoline injuries. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, It'll get you. We do have a correction sure. from the uh, control room. Um, you were with us two episodes ago and it was just uh, the last one. I that felt you were like at. I had talked I about I guess some of that already. We missed you so much that we just kind of felt like it was felt like more I was gone for ages. One episode. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> So we do apologize. Yeah, you just you just took an early night to get your car fixed. Oh, that's right. Oh, that's yeah, what happened. Yeah. yeah, I had to go retrieve my car from the car dealership because they it was that's supposed why to be the done. artwork had a yes. jeep mm-hmm. sitting yes, on yes, Mars yes, with yes. a broken bumper. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. where they where my my bumper um, quote unquote made contact with a light pole as they were parking it after completing the mechanical <laughs> that mean work. That light pole jumped out. Yeah, so that bumper. took a little, and, and then of course I had to pick it up. You know, having to get there after they close for the day, I have to pick up my car before they close. So, mm-hmm. yes, a little inconvenient, but it looks fine. Everything's great. Good, so, good to go. Outstanding, and uh, mm-hmm. well, good to good to hear you're making a, a good transition uh, between jobs and 
Yeah, so far going well. Um, I was saying a little bit before the show, um, my schedule is going to be a little um, probably full for the next couple of weeks just because there's a lot of things to, uh, you know, anytime you start a new job. Um, yeah, you can't slack, start of, slacking off right away. You can't, you you can't start off as a slacker. You got to kind of, well, in a little bit, it's just going to be just seeing how things settle out because I'm in a couple different locations and one of the locations, I'm really one of the first people out there. So um, I need to see how that all kind of plays out in terms of time frame for um, you know, patient schedules during the day, but I think we'll get it worked out, but there might be another couple weeks coming up where either I'm joining late in progress or, um, I'm not sure. We'll see. We'll try and make it work as best we can. Very good. Very good. All right. Um, Captain Nick, how have you been, sir? Uh, I've been pretty good. Thank you very much indeed. Mm-hmm. Um, been very, very busy, uh, because a lot is happening now. So, um, I forgot to mention last show that uh, uh, I was on Air Incidents podcast uh, with Sebastian and Sarah, uh, and that show came out on the 30th, so I could have mentioned it in the last show, but I didn't. But anyway, if you, uh, they only come out every two weeks, English-speaking version of uh, Air Accidents podcast that uh, Sebastian starts the German-language uh, one, but now he does alternates with an English uh, language one. So that one was out on the 30th, if you're interested, discussing that, you know, quite well-known accident, Air France 447, Mm -hmm. I think so, Uh, the A330 that crashed uh, uh, on its way home from South America. Um, So that was uh, out, and uh, I I listened to it. It very good. I enjoyed it. Uh, Great fun uh, Nice people and great fun being on their podcast. I like this one. Um, and um, of course, <laughs> uh, I uh, sent in, <laughs> you're welcome. I sent in a little bit of feedback to uh, opposing bases because uh, I was just getting a bit fed up. I thought they needed a bit of class on there. So I sent some feedback in there. That was the last but one. But uh, more importantly, my day-to-day life has been full of photo shoots and lawn bowls. So uh, I, I mentioned uh, last show, I'd done a photo shoot, did another one uh, a couple of days ago. This was uh, an all-day shoot, so you know, um, a big thing. I, I'm getting old. <laughs> <laughs> um, and dogs are, are quite hard to photograph because you spend most of your life on your knees, mm. at least. And it's not so much getting down, it's getting up again. That's the problem. <laughs> yep. So um, the next day, uh, my leg muscles were complaining uh, bitterly. But um, the shoot went very well. It was at a very nice uh, um, hotel, actually only a few miles from uh, Adam Spink's place. Uh, so he said, next time I'm up there, let him know. That picture uh, behind you, is that Adam Spink's uh, house? That we're seeing in the uh, background? I think so, yes. That's his mansion. <laughs> oh, nice. Exactly right. Yes, yeah. very nice. Uh, that's uh, Warbrook well House, it's called. But it's uh, a, a very nice old place. Uh, looks um, uh, a bit Georgian from the, the window sizes and things. I don't know much about it other than that it was very attractive and had lovely grounds. Nice place to uh, photograph the dogs uh, who were smelly dogs. They're all uh, very, doing lots of smelling. Um, because, uh, of course, they're, they're all being trained to be scenting dogs. You know? Not mm-hmm. smelly dogs, scenting. Is that the proper <laughs> well, terminology? 
Uh, the the like terminology take, I... I'm, I'm getting a, a letter from the Union of Simping Dogs. <laughs> They're offended. It's, it's already come into I'm offended. I'm not surprised. <laughs> it's what I put in my diary when I've got one of these shoots uh, with this particular group, <laughs> smelly, uh, smelly dog shoot. So um, uh, it worked very well. And the, you, know, you just don't want to step in that smelly dog shoot. No. <laughs> no. You don't. You definitely don't. So uh, uh, I'm going to be putting those out uh, on my website before long. And uh, today was my first bowls match. Uh, so we had a league match, uh, took on another uh, team. Uh, uh, it's not Cranley. It was somewhere else beginning with C. Anyway, they pitched up and we beat them. So they went home with their tails between their legs. Bad luck, guys and girls. Uh, better luck next time. Congratulations. Thank you. It was good fun, uh, except for the, my complaining muscles. Yeah, we could do use a lot of leg muscles in bowls, and uh, they didn't like it. I, oh. I found that diazepam and two paracetamol are pretty good for fixing that. And, uh, Take two and call me in the morning. Copious please. amounts of alcohol <laughs> yeah. as well. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so um, we will have as long as Nick gives it to me, uh, a link to the Air Incidents podcast episode that uh, you appeared on in the show notes. Sure. Sure. Oh, and one last thing. <laughs> okay. Uh, I got uh, Plain Tales on Spotify. Oh. Because um, the, the, other, the host of Air Incidents podcast, uh, Sarah, said, uh, I can't get your... Uh, podcast on spotify that's what i use to listen to podcasts and I well went, there are oh, other things to right. use <laughs> yes i know but obviously she is a spotify, spotify only okay yeah so i went through the uh spotify registration process and now mm. you should be able to find my podcast there i oh, found it oh yeah thank you are you well done cheers excellent the plain tales should be i, there I knew it was there but i haven't looked so. shame yeah. on you I will. Which means you should better get it on, you know, uh, intelligent speakers and things mm -hmm, like, like that. She who shall not be named right now because she'll have <laughs> things to say to me. <laughs> Very good. Um, That's it for me. Thanks. All right. Uh, let's see. Uh, I was just between the, the last show and this one. I was on a three-day trip uh, Monday through Wednesday. And uh, Monday through Wednesday uh, involved in... Steph can verify this. A lot of not Indeed. pleasant weather in the southern states of these United States. And, uh, but fortunately for me, you know, timing is everything. And many of you know uh, who have been listening to the show for a long time that I tend to fly trips that start off early in the morning. That it's not always a guarantee that I'll avoid, you know, unpleasant weather, but there's a much better chance of it, at least. And uh, the first day was actually the worst weather day that I encountered on this three-day trip. Fortunately for me and my first officer, uh, we were deadheading. So it was somebody else's problem. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I was kind of surprised that we actually got launched because I was, well, I wasn't actually using my phone because that would mean that I was, I, I didn't, I wasn't in airplane mode. So never mind. I'm not sure exactly how I knew that there was a very nasty um, frontal uh, system and uh, thunderstorm cells. Oh, I know how, uh, the captain came on the PA and told us that, and, uh, it was rapidly no. approaching the, uh, airport from the West. 
and they were alternating. One of the signs that this was serious is that they were only uh, doing uh, departures to the north and to the east. And so that meant basically half of the departures on the north complex and south complex were not going at all. And then they were kind of alternating between the north complex and the south complex because uh, it was necessary that as soon as you take off, we were taking off to the west, you'd have to make a very sharp turn to the left to avoid the oncoming weather system. And uh, it was so bad that uh, there were thunderstorm warnings, which means that either a thunderstorm, I mean, not thunderstorm, a tornado, tornado. warning. Yeah, we had a, we had one tornado warning on there one were, day I think as that, well. that whole, I don't know if it was just the one day or all three days, but there were over 45 tornadoes, I think, confirmed mm-hmm. uh, in that in that entire uh, span. But uh, this one did spawn a tornado um, just to the north northwest of the uh, airport inside the uh, the perimeter highway of Atlanta. So it was you know not that far away. But luckily we got out of there, and uh, things improved very rapidly once we were you know headed up toward Providence, Rhode Island. And then the next day again you know started off very early in the morning, and we were able to get into Atlanta and then back out uh, be in between waves of nasty weather. And again, yes, Nick. He's here. waving. He's nasty weather, apparently. Um, I was waving. Okay. What, what? Waves, 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 waves of nasty waves. weather. Oh, okay. Waves. Gotcha. <laughs> Sorry. Kind of obscure. But... Slow on the pickup there. <laughs> yes, waves. Sorry. <laughs> waves. Okay. Waves. Very good. Sorry about that. And uh, and we were supposed to go back up to Buffalo, New York, and um, to the Buff. To the buff, but uh, we were rerouted or rerouted, if you prefer, to um, Bradley International Airport, um, and uh, we stayed in uh, Hartford, Connecticut, uh, for our layover. A new hotel, well, not new, but it's a new hotel for us for our longer layovers. It's very nice. And so uh, Hartford, near Hampshire. In Hartford, Hereford, and Hampshire. Yeah, it's not and the Hereford. Hartford, New Hampshire. No. Near Hampshire or New Hampshire? Near. Yeah. No. Um, Elephant, Hartford, and Hampshire. Yes. I guess it's probably named for those cities over there in the UK. Um, But anyway, um, we, um, yeah, had a good layover there. And then uh, the next day, uh, finally, all this nastiness had passed through the Atlanta area. So uh, yesterday was a pretty nice easy day as far as weather was concerned uh, not not any severe weather at all between atlanta and dallas love field and then back so yeah it was a good trip overall and timing was ever I, I really feel sorry for the the pilots that were taking over our jet when we arrived in bradley and they were asking us all questions all kinds of questions about the weather and turbulence and everything else and and they he, he kind of looked at me and said so you're that's it for today you're you're going to the hotel uh-huh oh wow must be nice to have some seniority. <laughs> I guess it is. Good luck. Good luck to you. We're all counting Give on you. Give it a little bit of time. And yeah. You'll be there someday. Yeah. They had them routed all the way down. Um, instead of going from the north, you know, north. normally they bring you in from the northeast. Uh, but they went all the way along the coast and down toward Florence, South Carolina, and Columbia, Augusta, Georgia, and kind of in from the uh, southeast to uh, avoid most of the nasty weather. Anywho, that's enough of that. And also, we should mention that today is an important day for one host of uh, the Airplane Geeks podcast and 
His name is Max Flight. So happy birthday, Max Flight, from one podcast to another. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to to you. you. Happy birthday. Happy birthday, dear Max. Happy birthday to to you. you. (laughs) Happy birthday, Max. Oh, come on. Sing. Nope. All right. She's saving that for the album. Saving and that Max, for the album, can you change Lisa. your name <laughs> mm-hmm. to Headroom for me, please? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't think he's going to do that. Anyway, so um, great podcast. I'm sure everybody already has has uh, listened to it and has subscribed to it. It's been around for quite some time. It's a, a very professional, very well-researched, very kind of the opposite of what we do. (laughs) Highly respected. Highly respected, all that. Stuff that we can just only dream about here at the APG. Anyway, so happy birthday, Max. Um, Continuing on now with our little thing that we call the coffee fund. Johnny, how much more coffee? Sure thing. I love coffee i love tea i love the apg community coffee and tea and the java and me a cup a cup a cup a cup a cup all right that's the jeff smith from nashville tennessee who does the jingles for our show and this is the java jive the apg version and the reason why jeff is singing the java jive the two Jeffs, is because that's your way to support the show financially. And a couple different ways to do that. One is called the Coffee Fund Classic Method, basically a PayPal contribution page uh, where you can make one-time contributions or recurring ones, as Randy does. Randy Ackerman, uh, thank you very much for your contribution. And the other way to become part of the Coffee Fund Cadre or coffee bar club is something called patreon you can become a patron of the show and we have a new producer hudson rhodes i love that name hudson rhodes great name anyway he has joined us as a as a producer on patreon and so if you want to learn more about how you too can uh, be part of that great group of folks head over to airlinepilotguy.com slash coffee you will be glad you did and we will too, especially us. Yeah. Captain, incoming message. Alrighty, it is now time for your feedback, which is one of the most important parts of our show, I believe. And the first one we have in our feedback notebook is from Ben. So you'll remember that on, was it the last show or the one before? Yes, it was two. Two shows ago. It was when Steph was here with us last. Yeah, because we talked about it because we had both been flying that day, but I was flying later in the day, so I had not heard this um, incident. Yeah, so I heard this on guard frequency, 121.5, and I heard somebody, you know, declare a mayday, and I mentioned how... Uh, how he sounded or the voice sounded so calm, cool and collected on guard. And we talked about the airport that he was trying to make it to. And he landed in a field with um, another passenger. We kind of guessed that uh, it, I think you said stuff that it belonged to a flight school there at that airport. And uh, so I got this uh, in the email uh, inbox 
and it's from someone named Ben Fleming. And he says, um, let's see, where, where's his original one? It says, here's some audio feedback regarding the recent Cessna 150 guard call from April 14th, 2021. Pictures to follow. Yeah, I think that he sent me something before that. That was the oh. original email. Oh, was it? Okay. And then you had an exchange afterwards, so if you want to play the uh, audio. Okay, yeah. okay, so. gotcha. So this is in chronological chronological order then. Okay. Correct. So So I get this, s- someone who sends some audio feedback regarding the Cessna 150 guard call on uh, as Steph just read and so I thought well that's interesting I wonder uh, what this person knows about this incident and so let's play the audio for you find out hey there Captain Jeff and the APG crew this is uh, Ben from the Charlotte area I actually want to give you guys some feedback about the recent Cessna 150 um, incident near the Monroe Executive Airport. Um, I'm actually the instructor from the airplane that you heard on guard. Um, and I do, in fact, listen to the show all the time. Love you guys. Uh, I guess quick update on that. Uh, it was a partial power loss, about 300 feet over the ground, off the end of the runway. And uh, it was actually an intro flight with a student. So it was his first flight ever. And he got quite the experience. But yeah, we put it down. Um, no damage to the airplane or to us, no injuries. Um, even the field was like didn't even leave any tire marks, so it about as, went about as well as it could possibly go. Um, no updates on what happened to the engine yet. Um, they're still handling all that with maintenance and the FAA, so I can't comment on that. But um, everything went well, so you know, thankful for a good, good outcome, and uh, it was good to get a mention on the show. So, hope you guys have a good one. Talking about a small world, huh? He actually listened. I think I even mentioned during our show when we talked about this. Well, I'm sure that this this person doesn't listen to the show. <laughs> sure. And, yeah. right, hey. and uh, he does. And he sent us that audio feedback, which is awesome. Great job. I sent um, immediately I sent back some uh, a response and said, uh, wow, what a small world. As I said on the show, you sounded calm, cool and collected on guard. I wish I had the audio to play on the show from guard. That is. Great job getting it down safely. It even appears that nothing was damaged on the forced landing. And he said, uh, thank you. That means a lot. I spent a few hours trying to find the audio from guard, but no dice. Yep, no damage from the landing. The student even got a free helicopter ride back to the airport. (laughs) A good Samaritan landed (laughs) beside us to make sure that we were safe and offered a ride to the airport. The aviation community is great, and I'm happy to be a part. And then he sent um, some photos as well. Here's the... uh, I guess that's the airport he was trying to make it to, EQY. Yeah. No, they had just taken they had just taken off. They oh, were had they? Feet. Oh, okay. Yeah, so I think that's what he said from his, if I got the uh, story uh, right from the audio. So partial power loss at 300 feet, and I guess um, that field was a better option than trying to force or trying to make it all the way back. And I think we talked about it a little bit when we were talking about initially on the show, but this time of year, a lot of the fields have been cleared in preparation for the next set of crops that are being um, going to be planted and put mm-hmm. in for later yeah, in the you fall. Did so. That. Uh, you can see by the pictures here, this field looks completely clear. There's not anything growing in it at the moment, but um, so yeah, that was kind of fortuitous. Absolutely, it was. Thanks, brilliant, uh, lovely audio. Doesn't he sound actually uh, very laid back, mm-hmm. uh, very relaxed sort of? It's bloke, who you want so. as your flight instructor. Absolutely, exactly. And, and I think that's probably uh, those qualities as well uh, allowed him to sound so uh, in control of the situation on the radio and both 
in reality. Bloody good job, uh, Ben. Great well job. Done. I mean, 300 feet just off the end of the runway, you know, and already on guard and making calls too. That's that's impressive to me because that yep. happens pretty quickly. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. I know. Yeah. Great job. And then this yeah. top picture here, uh, you can see uh, Monroe Executive in the Monroe, uh, yep. background near the horizon. And then uh, where he put it down in that field. And you know, it's very fortuitous as far as that field and, uh, being there. he was able to, I don't know if he did, they were able to fly it out of the field uh, a little later on, I think. I'm not, I'm not sure. sure. I was, I'm presuming so that they flew it back over to the airport and they're looking at it. Uh, I don't think they would have removed it from the field any other way if it was otherwise intact and started. So, yeah, not sure. And I thought oh, it was brilliant. talking about an experience for the for a first flight or a demonstration an intro flight. flight. Intro yeah. flight. This is what flying is all yeah. about. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. I don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I, I hope the student comes back for for more. I really do. Yeah, me too. You know? I mean, that, that you, you can show you know, hey, you know, sometimes things happen, but this is yeah. but you're okay. training you're and have good. Die. Yeah, you have a good outcome. It's great. Very cool. So thank you, Ben, for sending that in. And uh, so so happy and thankful mm -hmm. that you listened to our show. All right. Absolutely. Uh, continuing on with this next one, Rory uh, says, I wanted to reach out and tell you how much I appreciate your podcast. I've definitely been afflicted with the APG, but the, I guess the syndrome, but the side effects from the six times daily pills haven't had the same efficacy as everyone else. I'm still listening, and there's no hope in stopping anytime soon. Yeah, but how's your digestive system? <laughs> well, he must not be experiencing the same amount of stomach cramps as everyone else. Well, yeah. he is a respiratory yeah. therapist, so he has access uh -huh. to all kinds of medications. Maybe that helps. <laughs> oh, fair terms. enough. Uh, he says he's a respiratory therapist with aspirations of flight, having done some uh, sometime flying with a critical care transport team for a large academic medical center in a Cleveland in Cleveland, Ohio. Granted, our planes and helicopters aren't as big as the 767s Rick flies, but we did get direct vectoring in our S-76 helicopter or Citation jets whenever we want. I recently took a work trip to Texas via Acme's sister airline, Delta. Even though you weren't flying it, which I wouldn't because I fly for Acme, I did fill out the survey and told them that Captain Jeff is the best pilot. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> I haven't heard from management hey. yet about that. <laughs> Don't think I will, actually. Um, in Cleveland, I live on the final approach for runway 24 left and right. In that approach, there's a hospital where I've also landed many times in the uh, S-76. My question is how these helicopters get clearance to enter the approach at the same low altitudes the planes are landing. Uh, it's been a couple of years since I've been on it, but I do remember the pilots telling us to be on the lookout for airliners and drones when coming to this hospital. And I was always worried that Southwest or even worse, Spirit <laughs> would get a little too close. <laughs> That's him talking, not me. Uh, <laughs> coming uh, too close to our approach to the hospital. Does ATC see the medical flights? And if we're landing, does ATC see that and make room? Or are we just VFR and have to fend for ourselves? Thanks again for the podcast, Rory. Now, I think Steph will be able to tell you probably a little bit more definitively than I can, but I can tell you that in my experience when I'm flying into an airport such as Cleveland and there's a uh, one of those medevac kind of helicopters approaching a hospital or, a, or an accident scene, um, they are... Yes, air, air traffic control definitely knows that they're there and they give us warnings to tell us that there is a helicopter you know, down below 
uh, going to this area or whatever and and that they have us in sight and you know but just use caution that kind of thing uh, but they they take they keep a very close eye on them and that it sounds to me like they work very hard to make sure that these uh, life flight kind of operations occur as as best they can occur to kind of have the best outcome so what, what would you say uh, Steph? i think they are vfr in these cases but uh, and generally they are yeah but yeah. um they're gonna have flight following in these situations sorry for the dogs in the background there nick that's on my end not yours not your <laughs> if you're hearing dogs they are they do exist and i'm not even sure that they're my dogs but I'm not, you know I'm, very not, I'm the only one on the show that doesn't have dogs so i know that when i hear a dog <laughs> That's probably not coming from me. Well, but Nick has been hearing all kinds of things coming through my mic. There's been a helicopter and a jet and some dogs. So I'm just trying to provide a little ambiance. And I, and I hear it's Poppy great as ambience. well. I love it. You guys can't hear it, but the, I also hear Poppy in the background. So I can't uh, tell yeah, yeah. when you guys have dogs and in your in your feed. I, occasionally I, I the birds know. are quite loud. So, you know, I just I live in the jungle it's here. part of the ambiance. The yeah, it's yeah. a damn menagerie over there. Yeah, it is. It is. Um, good thing the deer don't make a lot of noise because mm. there's a lot of them too. Uh, uh, so anyway, back to helicopters, medevacs, and VFR flying. So yes, generally they're going to be VFR. Um, actually, I'm pretty sure always. Um, but they're talking to air traffic control just like everyone else. And um, it, you know, depending on where the hospital is, um, helicopters are relatively maneuverable. So they're they're going to have an easier time staying out of those approach corridors and final path, final approach um, paths for the the airliners, even being relatively close. And a lot of times, I do see helicopters even landing at. Charlotte and other things like that to transport um, patients that may have come in on, um, uh, you know, like a medevac flight um, where they have to land at the closest airport, which is going to be Charlotte. And then they, fl- they helicopter them over to the trauma center or whatever um, the case may be. A little bit different um, kind of out in the country where I normally fly. Um, there is a air ambulance helicopter life flight type service that routinely takes Patients from one of the larger outside hospitals, usually to the Charlotte area, which means that they have to trans- uh, traverse kind of close to where our um, uh, little airport and drop zone is. But they are very well aware of the operations that we have on- have going on there, and they are very good about communicating as to where they are going to be and making sure to say that they're going to be this many miles to the you know east of the airport or the south of the airport, so that we know that um, they're aware of of what we're doing and. Um, everyone's looking out for each other. So it's always been very professional interactions with those folks, as you would expect. Yeah. So that, mm-hmm. I guess, answers Rory's question. If you have any follow-ups, uh, just let us know, Rory. But uh, yeah, very well aware of uh, the presence of these helicopter life flights. And, um, you know, they, they keep the heavy metal and the helicopters apart uh, very well. And, you know, the... the um, so and I'm sure this is true on the air traffic control side of things, but everyone wants to make sure that these flights occur without delay um, because literally that those minutes mean uh, life or death to some of these patients that are being transported. So, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Rory's a brave guy, isn't he, doing all these helicopter flights? He doesn't know any better, Nick. <laughs> oh, so okay. Don't ruin it all for right. him. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> we need we need folks like that to yeah, do these do. things. So that's thank you true, very yeah. much for being involved with it, Rory, because mm-hmm. it's very important work. Thank you. Yes. yes, thank you. All right, we're going to skip over uh, to item six, crew. Um, this is feedback from Brian, Pasadena Brian, he calls himself, when he writes into the APG. 
And uh, he says, Captain Jeff and crew, hi, hope all is well. Just wondering if you would be comfortable in flying in one of or flying one of these. Would you think the regional airlines would be interested in an all electric plane? Do you think there's a possibility of this becoming normal for smaller slash regional flights? And uh, we'll save our comments for after we watch this uh, short little video clip regarding this all-electric E-Flyer 800 from BYE Aerospace. Bye. <laughs> I'm not sure that's a great name for yeah. Bye. <laughs> Maybe it is a good name. Thanks for coming. Yeah. <laughs> good luck. <laughs> All right. Here we go. Um, looking for the... Here we go. It should be playing now. Cool music. They have to play that so other airplanes can hear them because they're so quiet. <laughs> yeah, otherwise it's silent. Now we're looking at this uh, very, very sharp-looking twin-engine mid-sized airplane, kind of like a King Air size airplane. Yeah, T-tail, yeah, very nice. nice. And uh, love the uh, shark uh, tips on the wings. Mm -hmm. It's called the E Flyer 800 by ByAerospace.com. There we go. Thank you Looks for nice. Yeah, it does. Very nice. And uh, our uh, the question was, um, do you think that there's a possibility of this becoming normal for smaller or regional flights? And I think we'd all say, yeah, I think so. Absolutely. Looks, looks yeah. like it's going to happen. I think there's a lot of research going into these alternatively fueled um, modes of transportation. And even though it, it's like anything else in the world in terms of technology, things um evolve over time and sometimes in leaps and bounds and sometimes more slowly. But if the, um, you know, if the carrot is there basically to, or the stick is there to move these things forward, I think it'll keep going that direction and the technology is only going to get better. Yep. Yeah. And uh, if uh, you're interested to know whether I'd fly one, I'd much rather fly one of those than a hot air balloon. I tell you. <laughs> oh, no. How about a helicopter? <laughs> oh, <laughs> Infinitely, <laughs> infinitely happier flying an electric airplane than a helicopter. Yeah, because at least, you know, the engines stop, you, you, you can still glide. You still got a glider. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Wow. I mean, you know, it says this is the press briefing here. So mm -hmm. up to 320 knot cruise speed, 35,000 foot ceiling, 500 nautical mile range with 45 minute IFR reserve at normal cruise of 280 knots. That's pretty good. That's not bad. That's not yeah. bad. 320 knot cruise. I don't cruise. know what the price is. Well, uh, normal cruise of 280 if, if you want to okay. go 500 nautical miles. I guess it could go up to um, 320, but uh, you could, normal yes. would be 280 and gets the best range, I guess, that way. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't yeah. know if they mentioned stuff, the uh, the price. I do not see things. price in here anywhere. I would think that um, it probably won't be very cheap. At, at the moment, probably pretty pricey. But the cost of fuel? Yeah, you don't have to worry about that. Yeah, offset, you know? Yeah. Anyway, well, I mind you, uh, I noticed that certainly in this country, um, electric cars are starting to find that the cost of recharging is uh, creeping up. You know, all these recharging stations it's seem to be still not free fuel. Let's exactly, no. uh, yeah, particularly the ones that give you a really quick charge. You know, the thirty-minute, eighty percent, whatever. They're, they're banging on a lot of uh, surcharges on that. They're, the companies that have put up these stations seem to be going, hmm, these are a chance to make money. <laughs> I don't know. I think for a while still, I'll at least for myself, I'll be, you know, 
burning those dead dinosaur byproducts. Yeah. And I would say probably... Well, um, you're driving a dinosaur, so that's very apt. <laughs> I love my car. <laughs> I'd say, I'd say I a, a majority do. of the electricity that you're plugging into your charging your batteries with is probably still also you know, fossil fuel. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, dead dinosaurs mm-hmm. being burnt. Hopefully for not much longer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah that's what uh, I see more wind and solar and all of that good yeah. stuff. Oh, solar seems to work so well. You're in such a sunny country, aren't you? So solar could work very well over in the States. Especially in the southwest uh, U.S. In the summer. Yeah. Mm. In the afternoons. Right. And tornadoes. Yeah. Anyway, tornadoes tend to block the sunshine. Hmm. Well, that's when the wind farms. Uh, yeah, that's, that's when right. They're really that's right. <laughs> the supercharged. <laughs> <laughs> Want to power Woo! your car eighty percent in three minutes? Here you go. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Brian, for sending it in. By the way, um, Brian and his wife make these uh, wonderful face masks. Steph is looking around for hers, I think. I, it is not currently in my office, but he's, yes, I have several. So I've been wearing, yeah. and uh, and Acme regulations tell me I'm not allowed to, but I've been doing it anyway. I'm a little bit of a rebel in my last couple mm-hmm. of years of flying. Mm-hmm. The uh, one that he sent me that says, um, uh, remove before flight. It's red and has the <laughs> remove before flight thing, and everybody really gets a kick out of that. And I said, that's, I've got I actually one covered in Spitfires. Oh, I'll nice. tell you what, it is the best fitting one. It, you know, yeah, they, the, the, the nose piece is really good. Yeah, it yeah. comes out far enough that you can, you know, still have air movement and not be inhaling your mask. I think material. there's spit on the yeah. inside of it too. Yes, Liz. Um, but mm-hmm. not, not the Spitfire <laughs> on the outside. Anyway, we don't really want to talk about both, that. Really. Yeah. Um, I think we can do uh, at least one, maybe more, uh, before Let's our plane tail episode. All three of these in. Okay, excellent. Um, seven from Mikla. He put a little phonetic pronunciation uh, for us in the in the bottom here. Uh, he is from the ne- Netherlands. He says, "Hello, APG, huge fan. Found your podcast a few weeks ago, and I just love it. Not a pilot, but I do find aviation interesting. I have a question, and Liz." asked me to email this, so here it is. Can I ask a question to both Captain Nick and Captain Jeff? I hope you told him no, only one at a time. (laughs) Yeah, Um, I charged him for it. Okay, good. Uh, Why does the tower always talk this fast? And do you train on this as a pilot to respond as fast? Because when I listen to, for example, a CVR with the tower, I guess it means maybe a recording like audio from... uh, Let's see, liveatc.net. Yeah. I sometimes think what the, what the is being said? (laughs) Well, you know what? Tell you the truth, Miklaw. Sometimes we kind of think the same thing. What the? Yeah. How many times have you looked across at your first officer and gone, what the hell did he just say? What did they say? Shrug. I will say that there are times. That's why I just repeat it. Like if it was a statement, give it to me. I repeat it as a question. (laughs) That was squawk oh one four three. Yeah, and then you hope they pick up on that <laughs> yes. on that, uh, that inflection that questioning. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> they don't always. Um, but uh, I was I was thinking of a situation where sometimes the the speed at which this is not always the case, but a lot of times it's true. Like when you get into a terminal area in a very busy airport like Atlanta International, if they're talking really really fast, you kind of kind of sense that there's a lot of traffic and they don't have a lot of time to spend on each one of these flights. And so you don't want to be that guy 
or that girl that you know reads back whatever the instruction is hey, very very approach, slowly. <laughs> uh, this is Acme hmm, something something number. Um, just <laughs> like no, right. don't do that. Like have it, have it in your mind what you're going to say and just. Yeah. Spit it out. So that's that's a case where maybe you would, um, you know, a lot of people say that listen to the podcast and listen in 1.5 or 2.0 speed because I don't talk very fast. Um, that's a time when I'm on the air traffic control radio um, having conversation with ATC that I actually do talk quickly because I kind of sense that they need for me to acknowledge what they said as quickly as I can so they can move on to give instructions to someone else because they have all these big pieces of metal flying through the air kind of sometimes pointed at each other. And, uh, you know, they want to make sure that they can, you know, control everything and you, keep you people think about from, what you're going to say and just say the pertinent things without trying, without adding in a lot right. of ums, uhs, or extra verbiage that's mm-hmm. completely unnecessary and not standard, which happens sometimes if you haven't thought about it in advance. Mm-hmm. Mind you, I've been listening to Opposing Bases. I know I shouldn't, but I have. Um, And um, they so frequently make the point that if you speak too fast, uh, then you're going to have to repeat, and you might as well make that first transmission just a little more paced and a little clearer so you're uh, unlikely to have people uh, asking you to say again. I have to admire, um, I, I know it's probably because my ear is better tuned to uh, English English as opposed to American English, but I have to admire um, the British controllers because they are actually very well trained in this aspect. Um, using standard phraseology, which we all expect, so we kind of know what they're going to say and all we need is that confirmation uh, that um, what they said is what we expect. Uh, we do a nice prompt uh, read back, and uh, Adam has um, just reiterated that point. The busier you get, the slower you should speak, because mm-hmm. I think it's probably very easy to get caught up in the pressure of the moment and let your voice get uh, faster and faster, and to people, to people can't understand a word you're damn saying, in which case you've kind of missed the point. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I used to... I didn't hate going into New York, but I luckily we didn't go in in some of their really busy times. But I have been into, say, uh, Newark on an incredibly busy night. And, uh, you know, the, the pressure on everybody to hear and um, acknowledge every transmission perfectly. Could You could tell the guy was right on the... At his maximum capacity, I think, mm-hmm. uh, and it wouldn't have taken much for you know him to lose the plot. So you really don't want to be the guy that causes that breakdown in communication. Uh, but it, or maybe I, you I do guess want to be. <laughs> <laughs> the more you do it, the easier it gets uh, mm-hmm. to a certain extent. Uh, and uh, particularly when you're going all around the world, there are so many different accents and so, so many different ways of saying things. Uh, phraseology changes from country to country. Um, you you just as soon as you I go to India, I really do have to work, <laughs> work at the Indians because you know some of them have very broad accents as well, um, and they do say things in love with Japanese. You have to be very formal with Japanese and stick to the set phrases because if you stray outside and start giving anything that's non-standard, there's going to be a big pause. Um, Russians used to be like that. Their standard of English is much improved now. 
they're very, very good. Uh, so it, it, it changes. It, it, the Australians, uh, once you take the stick out of their backside, they're fine. <laughs> That's Captain Nick at com, or I'm offended. I'm going to get some feedback about that, aren't I? Yes. Oh, Moving man. on. Moving on, Liz says in my, my ear. Um, Let's do both of Larry's and then play. Okay. Now. Larry, the geezer from Tulsa, Oklahoma, uh, sent us a couple of items here. We're going to knock these out, and then we're going to do our plain tale. Uh, first one is a cartoon, and I believe we – yeah, there we go. Liz put that on there for us. Um, I love this. The, <laughs> so this has – he says, I couldn't help thinking about ADG 464 when I saw this one. And the title of that was um, Dumbo Airplanes and – Something or other else. I forgot exactly what our title Dumbo was. Dumbo Jets. Dumbo and, Jets. Uh, and what? Oh, hang on. Something else. It was Dumbo Jets and something or something, something and Dumbo Jets. I don't know. I can't remember. <laughs> it was too many episodes ago. Liz is looking it up and she's going to yeah. tell me. Uh, I think Steph is also looking it up. No, I was actually oh. just trying to get a copy of that picture. Sky Gods oh. and Dumbo Jets. Oh, Sky Gods personal. and Dumbo Jets. <laughs> so he said he couldn't help but thinking about that episode when he saw this one. And it's a picture of an airplane uh, cockpit and I guess, or is it a air? Yeah, that's yeah. a cockpit. No, no. Well, and uh, no, with huge air traffic control. Well, I, would th I thought that for, at first too, Liz, is it air traffic control or is it the airplane, the huge windscreen? Uh, yeah, I, maybe. I don't know. I can't tell. Yeah. Maybe, it could, way it could, too many buttons for an air traffic control. Well, that's true. That I would be overwhelming. A, <laughs> I can see a yoke sticking out. Yeah, I do the, see that. That's oh, the yeah, only that's clue. that's right. I see the yoke. Yeah. Okay, yeah. so let's say that's a cockpit. And in the windscreen, filling the windscreen, of course, is a huge elephant. And angry elephant. Angry elephant. Angry. Becoming, and here is the caption. <laughs> Hostile. Becoming a rogue in his later years, Dumbo terrorized the world's flyways. <laughs> and the yeah, and the pilots are kind of like have their hands up, like, oh no, oh, watch out, don't hurt us. <laughs> Far side by Gary Larson. Far side by Gary Larson. He's a, I think the best cartoonist yeah, very funny, right? in the world. Fabulous. Yeah. And uh let's see. And then also Larry sent us in this feedback. Uh very how nice. to handle a shortage of meals. 103 passengers and only 40 meals were loaded on a flight from Bogota to Miami. The crew didn't know what to do. However, the booth boss had an idea. After about 30 minutes of flight, she nervously announced, I don't know how this happened, but we have 103 passengers and only 40 dinners. And then she added, anyone who's gentle and kind-hearted enough to give their food to another person will receive free unlimited drinks and liquor throughout the flight. Her next announcement came two hours later. If anyone wants to change their minds, we still have 40 meals available. <laughs> <laughs> you must have a lot of APG listeners on. <laughs> Probably so. Um, or was that, are you sure that flight was from Bogota to Miami and not Haiti to... Oh, yeah. Could, yeah. Boston. Uh, Boston, Jeff yes. Lewis. Haiti to Boston. Yeah. That might have been Haiti. the problem. Could well have been. Could well have been. Oh, that's good stuff. Thank you, uh, Larry, for, for the nice little joke. Yeah, we do love that. Okay. And with that, I think that it's now time for us to play this week's installment 
of the old pilot's plane tales. It's entitled Jet Noise, comma, The Sound Of. Here we go. The old pilot's plane tales. Jet Noise, The Sound Of. When we moved into our house in the Hampshire countryside, we noticed a remark in the surveyor's report that our area was subject to aircraft noise. We laughed. Oh, how we laughed. We laughed until the tears ran down. As we had lived for the last 18 years or so on the edge of fighter bases, often right under the circuit as phantoms, hornets, hawks and tornadoes roared around somewhere between 500 and 1500 feet above our heads. We loved the changing tones as the pilots juggled the throttles around the pattern and the roar of a reheat takeoff, the mighty sound of an eight-ship rattling in through initials at a couple of hundred feet and then breaking up into the circuit one after another. Our new house was under the flight path into Heathrow in Gatwick, which both lie 50 miles from us. The whisper-quiet noise of airliners couldn't even drown out the faint sounds of worms burrowing through the soil, let alone the birdsong that was by far the loudest thing in our garden. But things haven't always been that way, and back in the day, aircraft noise was significantly worse. If we'd lived near Wright-Patterson Air Force Base in the mid-50s, we might have noticed a new fighter being put through its paces, the Republic XF-84H. This new arrival turned heads, but not just because of its unusual design. It was a long, sleek aircraft, over 50 feet from stem to stern, with the wings and bubble canopy set well back. The airframe was based on the F-84F Thunderstreak, a popular swept-wing jet fighter of the early 50s, with a low, fin-mounted tailplane and nose intake, leading to a Wright J-65 turbojet, basically a British Armstrong Siddeley Sapphire built under licence. Despite having some issues, an extremely long takeoff run, a tendency to pitch up in an accelerated stall which sometimes caused the wings to part company from the fuselage, and an unrecoverable spin, if kept within the flight envelope, it performed well and, for a while, equipped the United States Air Force Thunderbirds formation team. The XF-84H was built to meet a US Navy requirement for a carrier fighter not requiring a catapult launch, so Republic came up with a version of the F-84F sporting a T-tail and a propeller driven by an Allison XT-40 turboprop. The large steel three-bladed propeller was 12 feet in diameter with a very, very long propeller spinner and the Allison jet exhaust was fitted with an afterburner for extra thrust. 
The huge propeller and massive torque caused handling problems. The airframe had longitudinal stability issues and the engine reliability was so poor that on 11 flights by one test pilot, 10 ended up in forced landings. It became such a problem that they flew with the emergency ram air turbine permanently extended to give power when the engine failed. Test pilot Lynn Hendricks told the formidable Republic project engineers, Well, you aren't big enough, and there aren't enough of you to get me in that thing again. However, Within the bounds of today's subject, the remarkable thing about the XF-84H that turned heads was the noise it made. It was almost certainly the loudest aircraft ever built, although some BAC-111 engineers might disagree... and became known as the Thunder Screech, or the Mighty Ear Banger. Even at idle thrust, the propeller travelled faster than the speed of sound, producing an almost continuous sonic boom that radiated away from the propeller disc for several hundred yards. The shockwave was powerful enough to knock a man down, and during a 30-minute engine ground run, a crew chief inside a nearby C-47 was incapacitated by the noise. The aircraft was notorious for inducing severe nausea and headaches among ground crews, and in one report, a Republic engineer suffered a seizure after close-range exposure to the noise emanating from the devilish machine. So bad was the deafening din that the Edwards control tower was vibrated sufficient for radio and radar electronics to fail, and the controllers could only communicate with the thunder screech by light signals. After numerous complaints... Republic were forced to tow the offending aircraft out to Rogers Dry Lake for engine tests. Work on the Thunder Screech persisted for a year, and then, to the relief of all within earshot, the USAF cancelled it in 1956. There is little doubt, however, that in the early days, efforts to keep airliners quiet were almost exclusively trumped by the need for performance. The materials of the day and engine theory just weren't advanced enough to allow diversions into noise reduction when it was hard enough just getting the thrust high enough to fly. As a result, the first generation of jets lacked acoustic shielding around the core and the front fan elements of modern engines. Despite having several spools powering different stages of compressor and turbine blades, the jet exhaust was a single narrow column travelling out of the jet pipe at extremely high speed in comparison to the relative flow going past the engine. It's the shearing effect of that fast air cutting through the lower-speed adjacent air that creates the majority of the noise. 
We hear by having our eardrums vibrated by waves of air pressure, and there are lots of things in a jet engine that can create sound waves of the right frequency to be heard. This isn't to say that early piston-powered prop airliners didn't make noise, and what's more, unlike the next generation, many weren't pressurised. This meant that they cruised at much lower heights, which ensured they could be heard from below for their entire journey instead of just their arrival and departure. So what parts of an aircraft create noise? Firstly, and as mentioned, the engines do, but not just the jet efflux, although that's responsible for some of the loudest sounds ever produced by mankind. The combustion chambers where the fuel is burnt are noisy. The compressor stages will emit sound out of the front and the turbine stages out of the rear. Remind me to mention what happens when you add an afterburner. The airframe adds to the noise, particularly any portion where turbulence is created because air banging against air makes sound waves. Particular areas for attention are undercarriage doors and, when extended, the gear assemblies. The flaps and slats are noisy, especially at the ends where turbulence vortices are generated. Generally, the clean airframe is aerodynamically smooth and therefore quiet as it passes through the air, but since most noise problems occur when airliners have descended in order to land, or are low after takeoff, this is when all the noise creating extensions are extended, adding to the discomfort of those who live around airports. So, what can be done to ease the problem? Back in the late 60s and early 70s, noise abatement climbs were introduced. These required pilots to throttle back their engine power soon after takeoff and climb at V2 plus 10, only 10 knots above their engine failure safety speed, until they reached a height where they could accelerate and raise their flaps without making too much noise. Initially unpopular with many pilots who wanted to get their aircraft up to climb speed and away from the ground promptly, the noise relief it gave to those below the flight paths was significant, and this technique is more or less universal around the world. More recently, other flying techniques that require a constant angle of descent for at least the last 6,000 feet mean that engines remain at low power settings for the entire approach and have complemented this early form of noise reduction. Since older-style jet engines were the noisiest, designs have changed to ease the noise problem, whilst, I might add, also vastly improving their efficiency and impact on the environment. The addition of large fan sections to the front of the jet engine has created multiple improvements. The bypass fans are the first few sets of blades at the front, and they are driven by the turbine discs at the rear of the engine, which are turned by the jet exhaust. These fans create a great deal of the engine's thrust, but most of the air moved is ducted by the cowling around the outside of the engine core, and doesn't enter the engine and isn't part of the combustion process. It exits from the rear of the engine in a large mass, but at a lower speed than the jet efflux, which has gone through the core. 
This means that the hard edge of shearing turbulence created by a pure jet is softened as the velocity is progressively reduced in stages. Since the introduction of early jet engines, the effective perceived noise levels have fallen by a staggering 95%. This means that every decade has roughly seen a halving of radiated acoustic energy. This is mainly because of the bypass ratio, the ratio of air that goes around the engine rather than through the core, and it's gone from about a third in early turbofan designs to a tenth in more modern jet engines. However, we mustn't pat ourselves on the back too much. Engines with giant fans are generally used by long-haul wide-body airliners, and narrow-body jets constitute about 70% of the world's fleets. These smaller aircraft can't use the mighty high-bypass engines of their bigger cousins, and they often have a lower bypass ratio, which makes more noise. There are also large numbers of older aircraft amongst the narrow-body commuters' fleets, but eventually they will be phased out in favour of quieter and more efficient models, such as the new engine options that are coming to the market. Engine manufacturing is also continuing its steady improvement, with Garrett, Lycoming, Pratt & Whitney, Rolls-Royce and Turbomeca all developing geared turbofan engines. In this development, a planetary reduction gearbox, just a type of elliptical gear train, is put between the drive shaft and the front fan. This allows a lower fan speed, which means that the ratio between the engine size and the fan size can change to reach bypass ratios of around 15 to 1. It also ensures a slower tip speed for the blades, which reduces noise considerably since conventional fan tips can reach the speed of sound at high power settings, giving rise to the classic buzzsaw noise that big fan engines produce. The geared fans promise much, but have so far been dogged by development and reliability issues, but ultra-quiet engines will eventually ensure that noise levels continue a downward trend. If push comes to shove, everyone can fit those cookie-cutter back ends to their exhaust nozzles. More correctly termed noise-reducing chevrons, they help to smoothly mix the fast exhaust air, reducing noise-producing turbulence, or so it says on the box. As engine noise is reduced, airframe noise will become dominant, but this can be cured by rethinking aircraft aerodynamic design. An airliner of the 2020s looks little different from those of the 1960s. The shape of the nose, windshield, the junction area between wings, tailplanes, fins and fuselage all create turbulence and therefore noise. They also create drag, so it's a double benefit when those junctions are smoothed. There has been talk of blended body airliners for many years and despite the obvious benefits, I doubt I'll see one in my lifetime. However, 
other efforts can and are being made to keep noise down. Auxiliary power units are nasty, high-pitched, noisy little jet engines that power an airliner's air conditioning, electrical power and provide air to start the main engines. If airports were to provide decent, reliable ground supplies of power and conditioned air, the use of these units can be greatly reduced. Modern navigation equipment allows for much greater flexibility in designing approach and departure routes into and out of airports. These can give more variety to flight paths and help prevent concentrations of noise occurring. Even though we can make quieter aircraft year-on-year, increases in air traffic volume ensures that, despite individual aircraft being less noisy, there are fewer and fewer breaks from the incessant drone of airliners overhead. But progress has been unending and will continue. Of course, one thing we can never do is make helicopters quiet or pretty, or anything other than an offence to the aesthetics of flight, but apparently people are trying. The noise sources on a helicopter are many, and sadly they usually fly around horribly close to Mother Earth. Thickness noise, loading noise, blade vortex interaction noise, broadband noise, high-speed impulsive noise, tail rotor noise are just a few of the worst that they produce. The best way to keep a helicopter quiet is to park it in a hangar. However, changes to rotor design, ducted and coanda effect tail rotors can help. But nobody has yet to come up with an airwolf whisper mode. One thing I'm sure is that nobody minds if their world is shattered by the noise of a jet fighter passing a couple of hundred feet overhead in full burner. I say this very tongue-in-cheek, as back in the 70s our low-flying maps were already covered in more red spots than a kid with chickenpox. Military combat aircraft are generally exempt from any attempt to hush them up. High bypass engines are impractical in jet fighter aircraft where space is at a premium and fast engine response, something that big fan engines lack, an absolute priority. And that's without considering the addition of an afterburner. Look at the pretty coloured diamonds that appear in the reheat flame behind a fighter. They aren't there to make your photographs look good. Those diamond shapes are the shockwaves that form in the jet flux as it exceeds the speed of sound and the deafening roar that accompanies them only to be expected. Of course, the great thing about the jet fighter that has just passed overhead and nearly given you a heart attack is that it's gone in the blink of an eye. Were it a helicopter though, hot air balloon, paramotor, microlight, says the 150, or other crawling bug smasher, the noise would be ten times as annoying and last infinitely longer as they plod across the sky. Gliders and helium balloons, though, are generally okay.
Ah, jet noise, the sound of freedom. <laughs> Do you think I've offended enough people this week? Oh, I think you did a pretty good job. <laughs> I think you could have done more. To yeah, be fair. we're actually surprised. Yeah, I'm sure I could have got jump uh, dumpers in there. <laughs> nah, we're not. We're not offendable. It's fine. Oh, okay, fair it's enough. Oh, that's good. Thick skin. No, I tried. I tried to think of all the annoying things that happen over our heads, and actually, most of them seem to involve seagulls. But uh, that's out of my control. All right, state well. bird of Utah. <laughs> oh, oh, really? Yes, really. <laughs> that nasty white the scavenger. Common seagull. There's a story as to why, and it's quite nice, but we shall not get into that now. Anyway. Okay. Yes, okay. absolutely. Sounds interesting. Huh? So. Okay. Yeah, that that uh, that thunder scream, huh? Wow, <laughs> that's quite some airplane. That's amazing uh, the uh, physiological effect that it had on. on I know. <laughs> yeah, you can imagine it on a on a flight deck if the navy had actually got it, and because there are so many guys in the flight deck that they would have just. <laughs> it's a dangerous dangerous enough place as it is without walking around being not blown over by the shockwaves and mm. feeling sick. Oh, dear. Yeah. I, can, I can't imagine what that must have sounded like and felt like. Yeah. But I think what I was trying to get at was that airliners actually, uh, we, we might think they're a, a bane on our lives, but <laughs> should have been kicking around 30, 40 years ago. Yeah. Uh, airliners nowadays are just wonderfully quiet. In very comparison. Quiet. Yeah, the new generation I mean, jets uh, yeah, are very quiet. Neil has a point yeah. here, Jeff. And, uh, you know, they're going to continue to uh, reduce in uh, uh, intensity. The noise certainly will. So, well, yeah. looks like and, he did uh, offend Neil. <laughs> he said he was Not offended. Enough Not enough jet noise. <laughs> yeah. Oh, dear. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah, well, I'll I say that. there's there's the odd like you know just it'll be quiet all night long. I, I live uh, quite close to the Charlotte um, Douglas International Airport, and it'll be quiet all night long. And then there's inevitably either a UPS or FedEx seven sixty seven or triple seven or a three hundred or something that flies directly over my house at like somewhere between twenty five hundred and three thousand feet at about five o'clock in the morning. That's Good loud morning. enough for me to wake up to. Oh, yeah, I hear it. Like, <laughs> hey, right, time to get up. Time to get up. <laughs> By the way, what yep. did you think of my uh, American accent there? For, that was lovely. That? I, that was didn't, good, wasn't I didn't hear one. I'm no. getting like better. Greg. <laughs> <laughs> I heard it. Excellent. Next time, next time I, I want you to go for a Southern American accent. Okay. Well, I asked Steve uh, Horn, who, yeah. of course, did those fabulous um, Yeah. How I got um, here. Serious. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How I got here. Uh, interviews. Fabulous. Um, anyway, he volunteered to uh, you know, help oh, me nice. out if I needed to. So oh, I didn't very recognize much. his voice. Uh, that, was a, uh, that was a sort of Chuck Yeager uh, ah. version. So it uh, sounded good to me. Yeah. Thank it's you like, very mm-hmm. much, Steve. Well, Steve definitely has an authentic American accent. I can confirm. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> what, he's a, a Canadian, is he? No, I think he is. Uh, I don't think he's Canadian. American. No, he's not Canadian. Yeah, I don't think he was Canadian. Yeah, Liz said that that would be embarrassing if he were Canadian. <laughs> like that. Not. No, she didn't say that. I'm just kidding. No, it's very kind of you, Steve. Thanks to the. Uh, I, I mean, uh, I use I use Greg a lot, and and he's brilliant. But I just 
worry about uh, um, taking up too much of his time. But it was, it's nice to have a couple of others who are able to help out. Like Lots of great voiceover yeah. artists out there in the community. Yeah. Excellent. Another great one. Um, As always. Let's, Can't uh, wait for part two. Yeah. Let's uh, move on to <laughs> number 10. Mohammed, is he still with us from Iraq? No, he had to go to bed. Ah, shoot. It was late there. Yeah. Okay. Well, he says, hello, dear APG. As a trainee air traffic controller talking with aircraft that mirrored in my personal life, my wife noticed that my wife noticed that and diagnosed when she uh, was talking to me sometimes uh, using phrases like, say again, unable, affirm, and she's okay with it. Ah. You have a good wife. <laughs> I feel myself I have a double life sometimes. The embarrassing thing is when I use it with strangers, like in malls or shops, the employees at the mall or shop make this weird look to me like, what's this guy talking about? I'm kind of used to that, though, and, and I'm not speaking in weird terminology. <laughs> it's just my normal <laughs> existence. Anyway, uh, it's become normal for me to use ATC phrases in my real life. I also have a suggestion for Captain Nick about plane tails. Stop doing them. They're <laughs> awful. Terrible. Sorry, yeah. No, I'm sorry. You didn't. <laughs> oh, you, you've done enough. <laughs> he, did, he didn't say that. His advice is, first of all, for sure, the efforts by Captain Nick for plane tails is amazing and a salute to you, Captain Nick. I'm listening to plane tales, but I'm, I admit I'm facing difficulties to understand it. I'm just asking if you're able to subtitle the tales with English subtitles or scripts for the tale. Maybe that would be more helpful to catch the concept of the tale. Thanks, APG. Much love and respect from Iraq, Muhammad. So, I don't know. You know, we did actually talk about this um, when we received Muhammad's uh, email and, and maybe, you know, things that we might be able to do to, um, uh, like, to help people like Muhammad, who, uh, you know, English is not their first language. Uh, we recognize there's a lot of people who listen here that are trying to improve their English skills. Mm -hmm. And for that, we're sorry for our poor English skills. Yeah, we do skills. apologize, especially um, us Americans. But, you know, he brings up some good points. So what did we discuss? Yeah. Well, well uh, I obviously write a script um, for it, but I, I, I don't write it... Um, in very clear language because I read it and I, if I've got a word that I'm not certain to pronounce, I'll look it up and then I will write it phonetically so I won't spell it correctly. Um, so it's not ideal to put the scripts in there and I'm not too sure about how copyright rules would work with that. But uh, if you watch uh, or listen to the plain tale or the whole show uh, in YouTube, you can turn on closed captioning. Uh, I don't know how reliable that is. <laughs> it can Jeff. be very entertaining. Talents, it can be. <laughs> it, that's exactly what I was going to say, Steph. That's where the phrase Talons Douglas came from. When one of uh, Jeff's closing remarks, it misinterpreted what he said and came up as Talons Douglas. Yeah, I say, take um, care, we, God bless. <laughs> Talons Douglas. <Yes. laughs> Very similar. <laughs> <laughs> which has which stuck for uh, God knows how many years, now, <laughs> yeah. which I, I still think is lovely. Um, uh, so you might have to take that with a pinch of salt, but you'll get the gist of it, for sure, from mm -hmm. uh, closed captioning through YouTube. Mm -hmm. uh, other than that, I'm 
not certain. We were we were also entertaining the idea or exploring the idea of like actually doing closed captioning ourselves, but I think that's a much more um, involved process and yeah. probably have to do it's it for the entire video. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that's not going to happen. We don't have enough time in the day for that. that. Liz says she is volunteering to do that. No, I'm, I'm sorry. Did I misunderstand? <laughs> oh, no. I would, say especially, <laughs> I would say especially during the plain tales because Nick does um, enunciate well and mm-hmm. speaks in a normal um, well. You know, regulated cadence. No, mm-hmm. cadence. Um, that the closed captioning might be more accurate than it is when we're just having a conversation yeah, amongst the three of us. Uh, so give that a try and, and let us know how it goes. And maybe we can yeah. tweak things from there. Just look for the little CC uh, option uh, yeah. on in YouTube mm-hmm. and um, click on that, and you should get text coming up, which um, is is an, a, a good approximation of what we're actually saying. And regarding the ATC phrases or aviation phrases in your personal life, I'm sure that you're not the only one, Mohammed, that that does that. Oh, affirm. I no. <laughs> well, my kids all know what check six is, as does my wife, mm-hmm. uh, and we all use it. So if we need to look behind us for something, you'll say check six. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is a common fighter pilot phrase for, uh, you know, watch out, there's something behind you, mm-hmm. uh, because we use the clock code uh, to report positions of uh, other aircraft. So check six means look in your six o'clock. I think. I'm wondering if we're going to have a, a problem in the future because um, so much or so many of our younger folk are uh, not learning how to tell time in an with an analog clock. <laughs> it's like check it's, six. It's um, very good uh, point. Uh, what? What yeah. does that mean? Six o'clock. <laughs> I mean, we've moved on from port and starboard to left and right. When I joined the air force, we still used port and starboard, mm. and uh, because I, you know, wasn't really that familiar, I used to have it written on the back of my flying gloves. Uh, so if I if I pointed, oh look, there's an airplane port on the port side, sir. Mm-hmm. Uh, then I, I wouldn't make a mistake. But uh, you look to your yeah. right. <laughs> I I remember um, m- my first time flying into a uh, navy base on a cross country and um, in my training, and uh, we were coming in for um, an overhead pattern, and they said, you know, cleared for a port break to to the sub like uh, to the active or to the deck or i don't know it was just all the language they used in that phrase or that that transmission was what did he say <laughs> i don't know <laughs> he says something about port what does that mean i, I think it means left <laughs> let's make sure <laughs> <laughs> can anyone confirm port is left yeah. yes okay. you want me to turn left right yes break now mm-hmm. idiot from the air force dummies i love it but I, I think a lot of uh, not only do the, those um, air traffic and military phrases get into our language, and though our families pick them up, I think generally they work their way into common language. They're, it's considered cool to uh, you know pick up military or flying phrases and use them, and, and movies like Top Gun mm-hmm. have made it very common for for those phrases to get into general language. So, uh, yeah. Uh, I think uh, I think it's quite nice. I think it's nice to have a private language that only you and your lady wife uh, or family understand. But um, yeah, it's, sometimes it's hard to keep it out of general use, isn't it? When you go to the shops. Or something. Well, here's here's a a good uh, tip from uh, Shadow on you on you. 
there is no red port left. <laughs> there you go. Well, I just you... remember that right <laughs> is starboard because there's an R in starboard. Oh, wait. Ah, wait. <laughs> okay, that's a good way to think of it. <laughs> no. Yeah, I, I always thought of, uh, yeah, uh, the red port left is good, but I always thought the port has the same number of letters as left. Yes, oh? that's actually so it's got four use. letters. Yeah, that's probably one of the best yeah. I've heard, actually. Mm-hmm. All right. Mind you, in the old days, you know why they went to port? The old days, it used to be larboard and starboard. Uh <laughs> So, I mean, they're really hard to tell apart, aren't they? You can wow. imagine a windy deck in the middle of a storm. Larboard, starboard, larboard. Yeah. Okay, well, yeah. Which larboard? <gasps> the starboard larboard. Your other larboard. <laughs> well, speaking of windy, uh, we uh, have some audio feedback from uh, an air traffic controller. So let's take a listen. Wow. Hi, everyone. Adam here from the UK with some feedback on APG 470. Um, firstly, about the Atlanta control tower being evacuated, or I guess both the control towers being evacuated. That's not something we've ever had to do due to the wind at Heathrow. Our tower is about 260 feet above aerodrome level, I think. So obviously it's it's not quite as tall as the one at Atlanta, but uh, I've heard it's, uh, it's not the size. It's uh, what you do with it that counts. Anyway... Um, We've, as I said, we've never had to evacuate due to due to it swaying in the wind. It does move around when there's strong winds, but we've got quite a sophisticated Japanese-designed uh, counterweight system in the top of the ceiling of the control room in the top of the tower, which moves about to compensate for the movement of the building due to the wind. Uh, it's it was mainly designed actually for um, for earthquake-prone uh, areas like Tokyo and, and most of Japan, I guess. Uh, to allow buildings to survive earthquakes out there. Um, so in terms of distance at the top of the tower, we only move probably a centimetre or two, I think, um, when there's strong turbulent wind. I've certainly been up there with, with the surface winds gusting over 50, five zero knots. Um, so a stronger surface wind than, than what the the guys and girls in Atlanta had to deal with that time uh, that we heard the RT recordings. Um but as I said, it, it doesn't move very far, but because of the counterweight system, the period, so the, the time between um, between movements, is very short. Uh, so you could move side to side by about, like I said, about a centimetre or two, but you're literally moving like that almost every second, every two seconds. Um, I'd, it's, it's sometimes almost imperceptible, but sometimes when you're quiet, you can feel just your seat sort of rocking slightly, and it's almost like sometimes I'm not sure if you're familiar with the sensation. If you if you lean against maybe a, a railing or a balcony or something, I'm sure Nick has one on his uh, in his palatial country pile in Hampshire, um, or Hereford or Hertfordshire, maybe one of the three. Um, if you lean against something on your chest and and your heart is beating, then your whole body is is sort of moving in time with your heartbeat and you can sort of feel your your body moving away from whatever you're leaning on every time your heart beats. I'd, I'd liken it to that sensation. So you're moving very uh, short distances, but but literally every second or two. So it can be quite an odd sensation until you get used to it. But like I said, we've never had to evacuate. Uh, but bearing in mind that, that Atlanta has a slightly taller tower than ours. Um, and, and the other piece of feedback, actually, fascinating uh, A to Z from uh, Captain Nick. Yeah, that's right, Z, not Z, as he said. And um, 
I, I never knew about um, Nick, your mum, um, working for the Y service. I've actually just finished listening to an audio book uh, by uh, an author called Sinclair McKay. That's uh, M-C-K-A-Y, called The Secret Listeners. Um, I'm sure, Nick, you might have I've read this before, but some of the listeners out there might not be aware of it. It's a great book on the Y service, and it goes into great detail about what um, the type of uh, tasks that that the people who are listening out um, for the uh, uh, coded messages and then passing them on to places like Bletchley Park to be decoded in the in the Second World War. Absolutely fascinating book. Um, talking about some some people, you know, in their late teens, even just because they were adept at Morse code or had an interest in radio were sent all the way around the world, places like India, Burma, Singapore, um, Pacific Islands, Australia. Um, and they'd literally hardly been further than a few miles from where they grew up and they were the other side of the world. So it's absolutely fascinating sort of human stories there and on the technical side as well. So uh, maybe uh, Tiffany can put that in the APG library. So that's The, the Secret Listeners by Sinclair McKay. I definitely recommend that as a, as a book if anybody wants to uh, get a bit more detail about the type of thing that, uh, that Nick's mother used to do uh, in the war. Anyway, um, keep up the good work as always, guys, and uh, hope to see you all in person as soon as we uh, can. Bye-bye. Yes, I do too. Great feedback. Thank you, Adam. And uh, I've been informed that our APG librarian, Tiffany, has already added that selection uh, into the APG library. I'm going to have to try and hunt that out because, uh, no, I wasn't aware of that, uh, Adam. But, uh, yeah, uh, it sounds fascinating. And, yeah, I've I've just got to get it now and find Mm -hmm. out as much as I can. Um, but uh, I, I think you hit the nail on the head when it came to uh, talking about the Atlanta air traffic controllers uh, in that uh, you and I both probably agree that they just suffer from LMF. Lack of moral fiber. I understand it. I can't say it on air, fiber. though. Oh, okay. Really? <laughs> if it's no, the MF of? is not what you think. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, my brain just. Went. So Liz thinks yeah, it's, the first word wasn't. Did. Liz I, thinks it's lack of moral fiber. Yes, exactly. Okay, that's right. better. <laughs> yes. It's what were you a thinking? World <laughs> War One. I'll text it to you. <laughs> phrase. <laughs> okay. But, uh, no, I know exactly where Seth's dirty yeah, mind yeah, was headed. Yeah. Nick knows. Nick knows. I'll send it for Jeff's uh, sake. Thank you. Uh, I don't know. So I don't have to embarrass myself. I'll I'll inform her. Maybe she can put it in the group. (laughs) I'm just going to put it in the group chat. You'll be fine. Moving on. Okay. Adam says he might actually have a copy that he could pop over to me, which would be fantastic. But uh, don't worry too much. I'm more than happy to buy mine. It's uh, one of those books I'd quite like to have. We can just drive up and see Adam in your spare time. Uh, Yeah, I've got so much. You know, being retired uh, doesn't mean you have nothing to do, right? No, <laughs> That's such a joke. Oh, okay. I got. Oh, thank you, Steph. Funny man. Uh-huh. Funny man. Uh-huh. Okay. Is that something you use a lot in uh, that phrase in your in your life? <laughs> it can neither confirm nor okay. deny. Okay. Good. 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 That. Yeah, it came to you quite quickly. Okay. Um, <laughs> Scary, actually. Yes. Um, let's continue on. Thank you again, Adam. Uh, Great feedback. And, uh, we have the same sentiment that we want to get everybody together as soon as we can. And 
looks like we can see the light at the end of the tunnel. Um, number 12 from Magnus. Um, this is something for Mr. Nick Anderson. Okay, let's see. What is this? I guess he's not captain Chris, anymore. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. We, Mr. Nick Anderson, not captain anymore. He's demoted you. Uh, hi, Captain well, I Jeff. I don't mind being a Mr. <laughs> I wouldn't mind being a Mr. either. Hi, Captain Jeff and the lovely crew. Again, thanks for all your great podcasts, making life much more enjoyable in this pandemic. You don't have to read this feedback in your, uh, on your show if you don't want to. Oh, shoot. Well, it's too late now. I'm going to have to continue. Um, i just kidding. I stumbled onto this BBC documentary about some young lads in 1981 trying to be fighter pilots in the British Royal Air Force. And I thought of Mr. Nick Anderson and the BBC um, program. It was entitled Fighter Pilots Dreams, 1981, episode one out of four. And let me just play just a little excerpt of it. I'm not sure. I don't want to don't want to get in trouble from the uh, the BBC or YouTube or anyone else for that. They'll matter. go after Nick. Yeah, I think they should go after Nick if, if uh, they do have any complaints. All right, here we go. I've got a license. So the start of this thing, um, what kind of ugly jet is this? That's a, a banana. What is that really? A it's a buccaneer. Buccaneer, okay. You flew that, right? Yeah. No. No, you didn't. I shot it down a lot. Oh, you shot it down. <laughs> Did the RAF like you to do that or... or yeah. Well, that was. Yeah. We, they weren't the hundred feet lower. British. Uh, because that's the only way. It's well, actually which, a very good subsonic bomber, but. Uh, this aircraft is a buccaneer of fifteen squadron. A fifteen squadron. So yeah, the volume's not very high here. Let me see if I can. Nope, it's up as high as I can get it. <laughs> that's what he said. Um, so uh, yeah, so if you want to check it out, if you're watching the video, you can see some of the footage from the very beginning here of the buccaneer. And the 15 squadron, and uh, I think the thing that Magnus was talking about, they kind of go through and uh, talk about the uh, the process or process of uh, becoming a fighter pilot in the Royal Air Force, and uh, so we that, hated it. You hated it. It was like completely right. a bunch of malarkey. Well, no, it was just that. Um, uh, how am I going to say this even close to being t uh, tech? Don't just go for it. <laughs> um, it, we, it happened about uh, five years after I'd already uh, graduated through and got through, through to the front line. They managed to pick a course that um, the rest of us had looked at them and went, who the hell are these guys? Because, uh, you know, they all more or less got chopped, uh, failed their training, except for one bloke who, like, made it through to the Buccaneer. Uh -huh. And uh, I, I think I'm right in saying that uh, after he realized he was going to be doing a lot of uh, killing people and, it, you know, had he gone to war mm -hmm. and dropping nukes, he decided that he didn't actually want to do that job anymore, so he withdrew um, from training. Um, so I'm not quite sure whether that's absolutely right or not, mm -hmm. but the fact was that, uh, you know, the rest of us who went, said that that's not the closest bit, bit uh, doesn't resemble, uh, what we experienced, uh, was not a training. good representation it, of it the was real not. thing. It, I, 
whether it was just bad luck or whether it was just bad production, I don't know. Whether it was the pressure on these guys of being under the microscope of cameras. I mean, flight training is pretty hard at the best of times, but doing it with a BBC documentary crew hanging on to your every word must kind of been easy. But we just thought it was pretty naff. Rubbish. Uh, Rubbish. We all watched it, but we thought it was bleh. Mm. Didn't like it. Okay. Well, sorry, Magnus. He, he, he was not impressed by this. Having BBC said that, if, <laughs> there, uh, there are some quite good flying shots, and you yeah. know, it gives a, a representation of uh, what the sort of training was. But, I mean, for, for an example, uh, you know, the – the AOC came down to chat to these guys uh, in their crew uh, one day, uh, and he was kind of expecting questions about, oh, what, you know, what's the latest fighter I'm going to fly, sir, and, uh, you know, what's happening to the Air Force, and, uh, you know, all they seemed to want to whinge about was the lack of leave and how hard the training was, <sighs> and, uh, you know, uh, he got the impression that they felt a bit, I don't know, yeah, that put everything a, was a, a bit hard for them. Yes. You put oh, them on. Yeah, yes. you don't want to make it difficult. Having to undergo all this dreadfully hard training. <sighs> yeah. Can you imagine? That was well, back in can. the 80s. Can you imagine what it must be like now? <laughs> I would be no, very appalling, I'm sure. <laughs> I don't I don't want to go there now <laughs> yeah, because there is a, an absolute... Uh, anyone who has here listened to uh, the Find a Pilot podcast, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, uh, who has discover this huge problem with uh, the RAF flight training at the moment. Um, we'll understand why I'm going with this, but uh, now we RAF uh, currently having a major problem with uh, the quality of their flying training. So hmm. interesting times. Yes. Thank you, Magnus, for sending that in. Mm, appreciate it. And it. It does bring back old memories, though. Yeah. Of us all sitting, you know, uh, when we're in the officer's mess, Big place, lots of students, two televisions. <laughs> we used to we used to all crowd into the TV rooms. Now, one television was BBC, one was ITV to watch this program every night. And of oh, course, okay. there'd be cat calling and you know throwing <laughs> beer bottles at the television and all this kind of stuff. So yeah, we thought it was. Fun. I was going to say, you guys watch TV in the O Club uh, or the officers' mess? That's not what we did. <laughs> We've heard but about now, what happened in your... Yeah, well, I'd rather not talk about it. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, again, thank you, Magnus. And uh, continuing on, we have some some uh, audio feedback from somebody who... Um, from a pro. Yeah, from a pro, a voice that you hear pretty mm -hmm. much just about every episode at the very beginning. His name is uh, Radio Roger, and he sent us some audio feedback. And here we go. Greetings to all my friends on the APG crew. This is Radio Roger reminiscing about a really cool feature I enjoyed on a couple of flights in the 70s and unfortunately never saw again. I believe it was on a DC-10 or an L-1011. During takeoff and landing, you could use the seatback entertainment system to view a camera facing forward from the back of the cockpit. It offered a great view of the runway as well as the pilot's. This may have been on National Airlines, which would explain why it stopped being offered. The airline was absorbed by Pan Am. I have two questions for you on the crew. First, do you remember this feature? And if so, do you know why it disappeared? And second, how would you feel about an airline bringing it back? I understand there's an issue of privacy for the cockpit crew, 
But the camera was on for only a short part of the flight, and when it was on, the bright light from outside limited your view of the pilots to just their silhouettes. So I'll turn it back to you. This is Radio Roger, over and out. You know, I'd love it, except that I think I'd probably get in trouble because I'd probably try to make my silhouette something funny. <laughs> You're like, are we doing like shadow puppets here? Like, or yeah, wear a mask or something, you know, and make yeah. it like have a yeah, big yeah, giant Mickey nose. Mouse. <laughs> Mickey Mouse is. Uh, yeah. So, Randy yeah, Roger, actually. Pretend, oh, go ahead. Well, yeah, I was going to say, exactly. pretend you're an ostrich and talk to your first ostrich. <laughs> Gear up. <laughs> or, or you'd get one of those puppets like um, Captain. Oh, Roger uh, Victor. Victor. Oh, yeah. Roger Victor, yeah. <laughs> and, and talk back to the camera. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, so, not quite the same thing, but especially on the A380, there are external cameras that are usually tied to the in flight entertainment system. So, you can see, and there's actually three of them. So, there's kind of a forward looking one, one from the um, like above the rudder or somewhere back in the, the back of the aircraft, and then one looking straight down. Would that be as the well. uh, vertical the vertical, rudder? vertical rudder? Okay. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. To, be, to be clear, the vertical one. <laughs> And uh, if it's on the rudder, doesn't it flap about a bit? No, when... it's it's yeah, no, I, I don't know exactly where it's mounted, but it seems relatively high. Could so it be on the fin? On the fuselage. Maybe the fin, I'm not certain. Yeah, the top is, of the fin, anyway. Yeah, the vertical, <laughs> there's, there's a, let's say this. Yeah, there's a <laughs> oh my god, vertical stabilator. That's terrible. We're, we're gonna deal um, with him later. Stuff that's fine. HR, HR is taking notes. Um, Let's just say it this way. For for clarity's sake, I don't know where the they pile. actually mount the cameras. There's one looking forward from the front of the aircraft, one looking forward from the back of the aircraft, and then one looking straight down, generally, on the A380. Funny. Um, which is, yeah, it's it's nice way to pass time if you're just, if you don't yeah, want to watch I'll, TV I'll or movies this. anymore. Good. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, I miss um, being able to listen to um, the, like, ATC channel, or the, uh, yeah, Channel 9 Tulip Airline, um, where you could listen to communications and flight communications and ATC. Um, that was always fun. Yeah. But I can understand why they don't do that anymore either. Being, you know, an, for an aviation geek, I mean, you'd be in heaven if you could hear the radio communications and see a camera mounted on the back bulkhead, you know, and facing forward and seeing what we see mm-hmm. out the, uh, out the mm-hmm. front uh, windscreen. I think, I mean, I'd be all for it actually. But yeah, I mean, I, when I I'm flying, everyone can see what I'm doing anyway. They usually can't hear me, but it's fine. Mm-hmm. So. Good thing they can't hear you. What you're saying. I know, right? Yeah. That's <laughs> I mean, obviously, you need to be able to cut the feed uh, if they're, you know, if you decide to go and have a, a rest, a sleep, or whatever. Mm-hmm. But, uh, or if something major happens that you think might upset everybody, uh, or if, you know, someone decides to take, you know, if Hillel were. Uh, on the flight deck, for example, and oh boy. pitched up without any clothes on. Yeah, that would be so. That would not be good. Yeah, that, that, <laughs> you'd have to be able to cut the feed. But uh, trouble is that uh, you know, uh, getting video cameras into the cockpit, um, it, it was hard enough getting um, audio recordings for uh, accident um, analysis. There was a huge amount of um, pushback against mm-hmm, that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can see why there would be even more against having videos yeah. in there for everyone to look at. There would be a lot of pushback on that for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I, personally, I'd be, I'd be more than, I would have been more than happy. 
Yeah, well, you can say that now that you're not uh, you're, that you're retired. No, I, you know what? I think I, I I'm not retired yet, and true. I think that if they, you know, instituted that right away, that I I wouldn't be upset about it. Um, I just mm-hmm. have to change everything about the way I operate um, if that happened. <laughs> and I mean, if you, you know, if you are in the United States or other countries that allow it, you can listen to live ATC. Yeah. Um, you know, if you can get it working on the aircraft Wi-Fi. Yeah. Let's have some idea of what's going on. Well, thank you, Radio Roger Stern, for sending in the feedback. Uh, as as always, he's a big part of our APG crew here, and uh, we do appreciate all the hard work that he puts into those voiceovers every week. So thanks. And let's do this. Uh, 15. Um, this is uh, from Peter. Uh, he says, hi, guys and gals. Just wanted to put in my two cents or two pence for you, Captain Nick on that citation pilot. Now, I'm going to pause here for a moment. Steph, um, we talked about this on uh, the last episode. Landon sent us some feedback about um, this citation pilot coming into Bend, Oregon. Um, Is everything okay over there at your residence? I think there's a dog fight going on in the background. Dog racing going on. Really sure, yeah. Is there a a deer inside the house? Yes. Okay. Okay. Or like probably standing right in front of the window. That's what's going on. Did you did you hear that? Um, on I actually YouTube? did not. Okay. As um, a, a, actually, you know what? I think I did, but but if you could refresh my memory, yeah. That would Bass be Aviation, and they it was Bend, Oregon, and this guy comes into the. It's an uncontrolled airport. Guy comes in and goes, uh, "This is Citation November." Blah, oh blah. yeah, I did. I did. And then he's, this. he's like basically this. being an air traffic controller, telling everybody how to do their patterns, and that yeah. he was going to um, basically uh, report everybody to the uh, FAA because there are just too, too many people in the, pa- in the yeah, pattern. too much traffic in the pattern and the whole bit. And uh, Landon was saying, uh, "Really? Uh, what, what do you do?" And and so anyway. So that's the context. And Peter gotcha. says, Thank you. while I'm not a pilot, I have a good understanding of airports and traffic patterns, probably from listening to that other podcast. Yes, the one that shall be not shall not be named. It seems that the planes on frequency were either in the pattern or were outside the area announcing their position and probable intention to enter the pattern, like the citation. Yes, they were. They were doing it properly. As I understand uncontrolled airports, it's pretty much first come, first served. And prior to the citation entering the picture, everyone seemed to be playing well with one another. Yes. Uh, If I was the sole jet on frequency, I would not have joined the pattern. Instead, I would have made a straight-in approach to the active. I think trying to mix jets with props in the pattern without ATC assist is not the best idea. Flying a straight-in approach would have essentially taken this guy out of two legs of the pattern and made it much simpler for the planes flying the pattern to avoid. What do you think? Hope you all are well, Peter. Now, Peter, you know, he right off the bat says, I'm not a pilot, but I do listen to a, an aviation pod. Probably not the best one to learn about air traffic control procedures, though. Let me just say that, Peter. No, I'm just kidding. It's a, I think the only one out there that does that kind of thing. And it's the best and the worst at the same time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just kidding. No, uh, I've learned a lot by listening to the uh, Opposing Bases podcast. A great show and uh i'm i'm curious to hear what you think about his proposed way to be safer and just come in out of nowhere and just fly a straight in approach with all the other airplanes in the pattern is that a good idea you're 
No, you're going to join the pattern. Um, your pattern might look different from the other aircraft in the pattern, but you need to announce who you are, where you are, what your intentions are. Um, you know, this is not one-way communication here. It's You're going to be talking with the other pilots who are in the pattern, and it generally um, folks are pretty willing to accommodate each other. You know, people have a good understanding of what their aircraft uh, performance numbers are and limitations are. And, you know, if people are in the pattern just training or for training purposes, a lot of times they'll be willing to extend their patterns to fit in a faster aircraft, especially one that's just going to be coming in, landing and getting out of the way. Um, but you still fly the pattern. So is it even allowable for somebody to come in and just fly a straight in approach? You, is that legal? Technically, you can do a straight yeah, in approach. Yeah, but it's just not I a good not idea. Adv- right? I would not advise it because you're not going to have a lot of the situational awareness in this case. Yeah. Um, you know, you want to, you want to, if there's, especially when there's a lot of aircraft in the, in the pattern, you need to make sure that you're fitting in with them and figuring out the best way to do that. And like I said, this is not one-way communication. You can talk with the other pilots there and, and do whatever you need to do in terms of, um, changing the the pattern that you're flying or they're changing the pattern that they're flying so that everyone can get in safely. Yeah. I'm curious. There must be a kind of a general right of way. So if you're on turning finals from the you circuit. You have the right of way. So it's there's a rule about, I'm going to misquote it out of the FARs, but about being um, the, the uh, further ahead in the pattern or the lower aircraft in the pattern, you have the right of way. So lower in altitude, Mm -hmm. Um, but you can't use that to overtake another aircraft. So even though you're faster, if you're just because you came in at a lower altitude, you can't overtake another aircraft. Okay. I'm just trying to imagine how a straight in approach um, gets in. No, if there's there's people, if there's people in the pattern and it's a busy circuit, you need to come fly the, the pattern. Yeah. I, you know, I couldn't see how else you'd sequence otherwise. And yeah. the citation would be at fifteen, usually fifteen hundred feet yeah, above. Yeah, fifteen hundred feet as opposed to a thousand. A thousand. They'll feet be at per, high. So, like I said, their pattern is going to look different. They'll be at a slightly different altitude. They'll have mm-hmm. different distances on their downwind base final legs from the actual field. But mm-hmm. um, you're talking to everyone else that's already flying the pattern. <laughs> Neil Lamorm in the uh, <laughs> If you're seeing four airlines, you can just come in at say. 500 feet under the traffic. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah well, they do that whole route of 500 feet by the sounds of it. <laughs> That's a good one. It burns a lot more fuel, though. At the, at the yeah. It really does. It's not fuel efficient, there. No, not um, especially not for a large jet. Um, but yeah. <laughs> So that's what we think about that, Peter. Um, uh, we don't think it, it may be legal uh, and allowable, but uh, I don't think that would be the best, the most. You know, now it, it yeah, it happens to it happens to me almost every weekend. Just so I'm at an yeah. uncontrolled field, and um, the approaches that we're flying are generally faster than a lot of the smaller general aviation aircraft that are mm-hmm. out there. Um, but if there's an aircraft in the pattern, we don't use our performance to basically overtake them or be in their way if they're already established come on i bet pattern. you really do don't you come I mean, you can tell us they no. want to she wants to <laughs> she wants to but she doesn't she can't, I can't tell, tell you, you. She can't <laughs> tell you. <laughs> <laughs> on account of that incriminator by the way that uh, podcast i was talking about uh concerning uh RAF training was fast jet performance fast ah, jet not sure. okay interesting yeah. Okay. yeah cool all right well thank you peter Hope that can wrap it up. Hope now, that yeah. helped. And can I just do a quick one, Liz? Please. Yeah, sure. Um, oh, Lane yeah, has put sure. it. Lane has put the uh, FAR that I was referring to in the uh, oh. chat room. It's ninety one point one one three. So, for anyone who wants to look it up and and um, you know 
not have me just completely misquoting it. Down. There you go. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. If you want to jot this down, it's <laughs> just uh, just ninety FIR ninety one uh, one one three. That's all you need to know. Uh, www. Oh shoot, you're moving it another way. www.ecfr.gov/cgi-bin-text-idx said equals d three. You forgot how to question about that. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Dang it. Fir. Let me start over then. Yeah, I guess we don't have time now. Don't pull that. But grab your grab your fir. Oh no, no. Steph is grabbing her. No, no. <laughs> okay, F A R aim, or you can find it online as well. But you can find it online. There are a I'll lot never of uh, find this fast enough. But basically, that's the the gist of it. So <laughs> yeah. if I've horribly misquoted it, I'll tell you here in a few minutes. But okay, ahead. I give Continue. opposing bases so much hassle when they start quoting the from these books. <laughs> yes, you do. Please yeah. don't. I'll start doing it. <laughs> All right. Well, no, no. I feel like I've been called out. I need to make sure I got it right. Go <laughs> shall, shall I wait or shall I go with? Uh, Can, no, continue, quick, and okay. I will just I will just circle back to this. So if okay. you're waiting with bated breath, I won't get. So back the to last you. one from the circuit. Last one from Peter. Yeah. Uh, he says, "Hi guys. Hi guys. I heard you mention my home airport this morning. K A L B. Kalb. I like to call it. No, uh, Kilo Alpha Lima Bravo Albany, New York, the Empire State Capital. And I can tell you." The local residents and businesses or business people were as sick of that airport as you were when you mentioned the jet bridges or lack thereof. I don't know when you were put in, but as you said, Jeff, uh, you'd think that the capital of New York State would have had them sooner. No, I don't know when they were put in, <laughs> not when you were put in. <laughs> I was wondering, what does he mean by that? When was I put in? Um, Sounds like a. Yeah, it was, I don't remember exactly, but it was sometime in the 90s, I think, because I remember flying there sometime during that decade and they weren't there. And then maybe toward the end of the 90s is when they finally installed the darn jetways. But uh, anyway, still enjoying and just joined you on the gram, <laughs> the Insta. Uh, this is Peter. The Iggy. Uh, the the what? what? The, the IG. The Iggy. The IG. What do the cool kids <laughs> call it? I have no idea anymore. I'm not cool. <laughs> okay. Don't ask me. All right. Uh, did you find out 91.113? What the? Uh, or are you still researching? Yeah, there's it? no, no. I've I've got it. Am I good okay. to go on? Are you done with that? Yeah. Uh, she's trying to do back. this. Okay. That's so it. <laughs> basically, uh, so converging when aircraft of the same category are converging at approximately the same altitude, except head on or nearly so. The aircraft to the other's right has the right of way. Blah blah blah. Approaching head on, um, alter course to the right, overtaking. Uh, here, landing, this is the important one. Aircraft while on final approach to land or while landing have the right of way over other aircraft in flight or operating on the surface. So those that are on final already have the right of way, um, except that they shall not take advantage of this rule to force an aircraft off the runway surface, which has already landed and is attempting to make way for an aircraft. When two or more aircraft are approaching an airport for the purpose of landing, the aircraft at the lower altitude has the right of way, which is why I said, but okay. it shall not take advantage of this rule to cut in front of another aircraft, which is on final approach or to land or overtake that aircraft. Okay. Ta-da. There you go. I think the way See, you said it was almost allowed to come looped. in from ten miles at a hundred feet. No, you so cannot I'm use lower. that. <laughs> I mean, you can you cannot right take advantage. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, okay. I mean, if everyone's in the pattern, join the pattern and figure it out yeah. amongst yourselves. Play nice with everybody, and yes. quit telling everybody what to do. Okay. Yeah. Don't yeah, be a weird. dog. <laughs> yeah. All right. That's it. Let's wrap this thing up, shall Let's we? Let's wrap this. Baby and we up, uh, yeah. and and Liz is happy again because we have. Several wonderful Three. pieces of feedback, including a couple of uh, audio feedbacks that we weren't able to yeah. uh, address in this show, but we're definitely going to put them at the top of the list next time. 
So if you're out there in our live audience or listening to this uh, after the fact and you didn't hear your audio feedback, please be encouraged and um, be assured Listen that next time. we will uh, definitely play it for you next time. And uh, let's see. So this is when we talk about uh, the fact that we have a website where you can glean all kinds of interesting information. It's called AirlinePilotGuy.com. And uh, if you'll throw that overlay up, uh, Liz, that will give me a cheat sheet. And I can tell you all the things yes, that sir. you can find on the airlinepilotguy.com right right website. And it is... I'm looking for it. You're looking for it. Right it's somewhere there. up there. I know you can find it. I'm looking. Okay. I, there we go. There it is. Uh, let's see. Oh, it's so small. I can hardly see it. That's what she said. I got you. Um, uh, <laughs> you want me to read out what's at the top of the, the thing there? So you yeah, can looks, find the podcast listed there. You thank can you. see APG on YouTube. Um, so if you're looking to join the live uh, recordings. That's where you go to find the link to this. Mm -hmm. You can find out more about us, APG crew. You can get a direct link to Nick's Plain Tales, which is also found at various other places. The APG library has previously previously mentioned um, on this show as curated by Tiffany um, is there. If you're looking for some good aviation reads, we have a store. You can contribute to the coffee fund. You can contact us and there's a calendar. So, yes. Uh, events and things which hopefully will be coming back to normalcy sometime in the near future we'll have more meetups and, and the like absolutely thank you Steph. all on the website one convenient location well, stuff your work is not done uh, oh, i was going to defer to nick on the social oh well media. we could do that no, no, <laughs> we um, uh, yeah, I can't. i'm sorry what That's was, fine. I got this what was formerly referred to as the social means but now i'm not going to say that because people get upset with me so social media we are on include we are you can head over to twitter uh, if that is a platform you're on we are at apg crew and you can find our individual twitter information pinned to the top of that page you can also find us on facebook that is facebook.com slash airline pilot guy join us and the community in sharing aviation news and stories there and as recently uh, as of like 30 seconds ago mentioned the instagram um the ig so AP, the ig <laughs> or whatever the cool kids are calling it the gram i have the gram I have no idea. I'm so uncool and unhip. It's terrifying. No, uh, we're also APG crew there as well. And if you want the deep dive into all things APG related, please join the Slack team, which Hillel is going to let us know about now. Deep dive? You know, Hillel is the one that runs the thing. And I uh, want to reconsider that. Um, I'll think about how to rephrase that for next week. Oh, I don't know. It should be there. Did somebody delete oh, no, it? There it is. Got it got okay. It. So, hey, hello. Can you tell us about Slack? Sorry, Jeff. I might have used all your skin lotion. Okay. Um, that's not good. All right. Uh, why don't you come over nice here and tell soft, us? Though. <laughs> yeah, it's nice and soft. Oh, yeah, your arm is nice and soft. Okay, let me get this oh, over here. <laughs> APG listeners, please join us on our Slack team. Slack is a communication, coordination, and sharing platform that works on your mobile, laptop, or browser. On Slack, we share news and ideas. We suggest episode and plain tales topics. We plan events and meetups. To get into the Slack team, please email me at slack at airlinepilotguy.com. That's S-L-A-C-K, Sierra Lima Alpha Charlie Kilo at airlinepilotguy.com or send me a tweet with your preferred email address to at Hillel and I'll send you an invitation. That's Hillel spelled Hotel India 11 Echo 1 and see you in Slack. <laughs> <laughs>
Thank you very much, Hillel. And just all kidding aside, thank you for uh, managing, creating and managing our Slack team. And also a big round of applause for our producer, director, assistant up in Toronto, Canada, Liz Piper. You do such a great job. Hard worker. Great job with the plane tail. Thank you. Yes. uh, A lot of things, uh, a lot of things working in the background. And Liz has pretty much everything to do with it. So thank you, Liz. And until next time, wishing you all clear skies, unlimited visibility, and tailwinds. Talons, Douglas. Cheers, y'all. Good night, everybody. Yeah, he's up in the sky. It's the airline pilot guy. Good day. a good good pilot till I started APG I opened doors for little old ladies I helped them to their seats airline pilot guy I fly America oh airline pilot guy he can't land in heavy fall I got no friends cause I'm always flying I just don't have the time But I can land this old plane I can land it just fine Airline pilot guy I fly a oh, Airline pilot guy